Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Time now for the Character and Smallman podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. everyone and welcome to Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN at 701. Your time check is brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Maddie Rocchio is here, Michelle Smallman, Randy Carriker. Good morning, Michelle. How are you doing? It is certainly a morning, Randy. We have a lot of stuff to get into today. What a weekend of news and action on the St. Louis sports scene. Most of it not great. No, it was not great. And that includes the Cardinals dropping two of three in Cincinnati over the weekend. If you keep doing that, things will get away from you in a hurry. Because if the Cardinals, and I've said this, if the Cardinals are going to make the playoffs this year, they need to dominate the Reds, Pirates, and Cubs, right? Yeah. Because they are not going to, they're, they're not going to go out and beat teams like the Padres and the Giants and the Blue Jays on a regular basis. The Cardinals just aren't that good. They're better than the really bad teams, but they aren't good enough to beat the great teams on a consistent basis. So when you have the opportunities against teams like the Reds, you better take advantage. And every single game in the second half matters. This is going to be a tight division race that likely goes down to the finish line. And this is not the ideal way that you wanted to open the second half. Dropping two of three to an inferior opponent, not great. No, not at all. Yesterday, the Cardinals falling by a score of six to three. There were some positives from this game, including in the fourth inning with Tyler O'Neill aboard, Paul Goldschmidt hitting still another home run. And the 0-1. And Goldie hits deep right center. It's at the wall. He's done it again. Number 23. He's driven in 76. And Paul Goldschmidt is destroying the Cincinnati Reds in the last eight days. He has been sensational against them, and he wasn't done. Cardinals down 6-2 in the sixth inning. A two-run homer back in any number four, and Goldie hits a drive into deep right field. It is another one! His second home run of the day. 24 homers for Goldie. He has been the offense today for St. Louis. He's having the best year that any Cardinal has had since Albert Pujols was in his prime. Which is why you don't want to waste a season like this from Paul Goldschmidt. The rest of the team needs to step up and help this guy. And hopefully the front office is thinking mm-hmm. of ways to go out and help this guy and help this team. He's hitting 335, as Dan mentioned, on Bally Sports. 24 homers, 77 RBIs, a 1.036 OPS this year. Ali Marmol, what stands out about Goldie? Just the consistency. I mean, and uh, there's days he doesn't feel good where he still finds a way to do something productive, and that's the key to the whole thing. Um, is uh, I think the best way you can be described in this game is that you're consistent, and he's been exactly that. 
We've used the term numbingly consistent, yeah. and it's great. It, it's awesome to see, but don't take it for granted because you never know when you might just lose him for a couple of games. Oh, boy, here we go. <laughs> yeah, the Cardinals will be just fine as long as Paul Goldschmidt can play for them. Oh, wait, you're saying he's not available? He's not available, That's going to be a problem. Yeah, and it's a shame, A, that a public health issue like COVID and vaccinations have become as politicized as they are. Thank goodness we don't have a bunch of kids going to schools without mumps and measles and diphtheria shots. Because if we did, then all of our kids would be really, really sick a lot. We do have vaccines that work for them. And yes, there have been, there's a lot of breakthroughs of this particular vaccine. But Michelle, I don't know about you. I, I just want to look at this from a baseball standpoint. Same. And this is one thing I wonder with your St. Louis Cardinals. How close of attention do they pay, pay to the St. Louis Blues? And are baseball players as old school as hockey players. This is what it's all about. This is why we lace them up. This is why we put in the work, why we sweat, and why we bleed. Playing for the crest in the front of our sweater, winning the battles, sacrificing our bodies, and electrifying our crowd. This is the blood that runs through our veins. Yes, it is. Competitiveness, playing for your teammates, and Yes, these two made a personal decision. One guy says, it's never about me. It's always about the team, right? It's never about me. It's always about the team. Then he says, I made a personal decision. Another guy says, I'm tired of playing for wildcard teams. I want to win a division. Your team was a game and a half out of first when it came to the point where we found out that you are not going to be able to play and two losses to Toronto very could spell the difference between being a playoff team, a wild card team, or a division champion. So that's one decision they made. Personal decision, they have their choice. I'm not going to begrudge them. I will admit that I'm a boomer. I was born in 1962. I remember Bob Gibson getting hit on the leg by a batted ball from Roberto Clemente and staying in the game. I remember Lou Brock, who was my guy as a kid, having just completely jammed up knees in 1974. Stole 118 bases with those pop-up slides, and his team was in it until September. They were a half game out in late September. He was playing through pain. He, he knew. He was uncomfortable. He knew it probably isn't the best thing for me, but I'm going to do it for my team. I remember Bruce Suter vividly getting cortisone shots. If you've ever had or seen a cortisone shot, you know that they probably aren't very good for you long term. But Bruce Sutter wanted to get out there and compete for his team and for his teammates. And every year he was here in that shoulder, and it wound up actually costing me his career, but he wanted to compete, so he got the cortisone shots because it allowed him to pitch. I remember Michelle Albert Pools in 2003. Wasn't even allowed to, and this is 2003, he's 22 years old. And he's not even allowed to throw in the outfield because he's got a partially torn UCL. And he could have very easily opted out and said, you know what? I'm just going to let this thing heal. I'm, I'm going to concern myself only with myself and with my future. Was it uncomfortable? Yes. Did he want to play? Yes. Did he go to Tony Lewis and say, you know what? I'm going to do whatever it takes to get on the field and play. Yes, he did it. Chris Carpenter <laughs> couldn't feel his face. Couldn't feel his face. And the doctors say to Chris Carpenter, look, you have a nerve issue. This happened down the stretch in 2004, in 2005, so that he could pitch in 2006 when the Cardinals won the world championship. 2005, the, the Cardinal doctors and other doctors, specialists, say to Chris Carpenter, look, we got to take out a rib. 
not the best thing for you. But we got to take out a rib if you want to pitch again. You can lead a normal life with your rib, but you won't be able to pitch again because of your nerve issue. Carpenter says, I got to pitch. I got to compete. I got to get out there. And so he has the rib removed, and he pitches the Cardinals to a world championship in 2006. For all of those guys, those historical, legendary Cardinals, it was about competing, getting on the field. It was all about winning for those guys. They took chances to get on the field, and they helped their clubs win championships. And as great as Arnato and Goldie are, and I'm taking nothing away from their greatness because they are great. Nolan Arnato is a Hall of Famer. Paul Goldschmidt is a Hall of Famer. But I don't think that you can look at Cardinal history, the guys that have worn the birds on the bat for the last 50 years, and say that these people are making the sacrifices that those guys made to get on the field and compete and win. Mm-hmm. For those who are, are wondering what we're talking about, if you haven't heard over the weekend, the Cardinals going up to Toronto for a two-game set. Their two best players, Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado and Austin Romine, uh, is in the mix as well. They will not be available because they refuse to take the COVID-19 vaccine. Oh, yeah. Vaccine. Austin Romine, too. Yes, Austin Romine, too. So uh, if you haven't heard, if you were busy over the weekend, you're not plugged into social media, that's what we're talking about today. And everyone needs to take a deep breath because today is going to be a doozy. This is, um, as you mentioned, a very charged subject, and, and it's unfortunately been politicized and frankly I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about other other to. people's health decisions. But when you are a public figure and your health decision impacts your ability to do your job and it's our job to talk about your job, then we have to talk about it. We have to talk about it today. And Randy, I I truly, truly do believe it's their body, is it's their choice. As an American woman who lives in the state of Missouri, I'm envious of anyone that has 100% bodily autonomy, and I respect that each of them has the right to make the decision that after consulting with their families and their medical professionals, that they feel is best for their health, because we live in a free country. And I might not agree with it, but that's the beauty of living in America, is that at least most of us have the right to choose about what's best for our health. And... When when you have a platform like this and you make a choice like this, the consequences of it is that everyone's going to examine it. This comes with the territory. And we care this much, as Randy mentioned, because these are the two best players on the team. Let's not lose sight of this. If it was just Austin Romine who wasn't making the trip to Canada, and no disrespect to Austin Romine, we might not even mention it on the show. It might not even be a discussion. But when you are great, the responsibilities are higher. They just are. I don't make those rules. This is just how it happens. When you succeed, it's more impactful. When you fail, it's more impactful. With talent and leadership comes expectation. And the expectation is that your two best players, regardless of circumstances, are going to be available for you. And, Randy, this is where it gets a little sticky and uncomfortable for me because I don't want to question anybody's desire to compete or their commitment to their craft. That is just not in my nature. But I do think when discussing this, you have to wonder if those in the clubhouse might be questioning that. I know how much Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt put in day to day. I know their commitment to themselves and to this organization and to their teammates. However, when you make this choice, you are indicating that winning is not the number one thing that is important to you. And I'm not judging that. That's okay. But everyone is going to interpret this differently. And I just wonder when you're a leader, if you have to go to someone else on the team who maybe doesn't have the same status as you and 
in some way have a tough conversation or maybe question their effort or expect more out of them. Is their response going to be, well, you you didn't get the COVID vaccine and everybody else did. You weren't available to us. I just wonder if there will be any sort of internal pushback if a situation does arise. And I hope not. And finally, as I tweeted, and I think you might have too over the weekend, what if this were the World Series? And I know everyone is rolling their eyes saying, come on, Michelle, they didn't even they couldn't even take two of three versus the Reds. We're talking World Series. But when you make this decision, when you elect to not be available to your team, you have to think of every possible scenario that this could touch. And one of them could be that you might not be available to play in half of the games and and what you have worked your entire life for. And I just wonder if if the choice would be different if the the games had a little bit more weight. Well, from I, I can give you and great job there uh, organizationally. The Boston Red Sox signed Trevor Story during spring training. They told Trevor Story, you aren't getting this $140 million contract unless you're vaccinated because we are going to go to Toronto. Toronto's great, and we need you to play against the Blue Jays in Toronto. The New York Yankees have significant interest in Andrew Benintendi, who plays for lives, lives here during the offseason and plays for the Kansas City Royals. But the Yankees aren't going to make that move because they could face the Blue Jays in the playoffs until they know that Benintendi Benintendi is vaccinated. Mm -hmm. It does affect your competitive ability if your best players aren't available to your team. And people are saying, well, they're going to get two two days off anyway. You really think Ali Marmol is going to give Goldschmidt and Arenado back-to-back days off together? You really think that's going to happen in the last 60 games of this season? Not likely. I don't think so. Not likely. So, especially less than a week removed from the All-Star break. So, well, yes, they are each going to get scheduled days off. The Cardinals don't schedule Arenado and Goldschmidt off on the same days. And people say, well, if the Cardinals don't win, it's because of the pitching. If they don't win and they score two runs in the next two games, and by the way, they might have lost. They're facing Barrios and Gosman in these two games. So they very easily could have could lose these two games with or without Arenado. But I can look back at these two games if they wind up winning, losing the division by a game or two. Mm-hmm. Say, man, if they would have had those two in Toronto, that would have made a big difference to the team. I, I don't know how you can logically say it doesn't make any difference if Arenado and Goldschmidt aren't on the are, are on the Cardinals or not. It, people that are <laughs> thinking it doesn't matter that they aren't going to be there in Toronto, they're delusional because it does matter when Goldschmidt and Arenado are on your team. And yes, the pitching problems notwithstanding have been there throughout the season. But the Car- I'm telling you right now, the Cardinals and Pay attention closely to this, okay? Because it'll help you in the future. The Cardinals or any team are not as good if they don't have their two best players available. What? That's a crazy notion, Randy. Also, I keep thinking about what not only Ali Marmol has said publicly about this season being win or bust, but Nolan Arnato's comments a few days ago saying, I'm sick of playing in the wild card. I want to get past that. The stakes this season are very high. They're very high. And I just can't imagine, and, and again, I know that this is a personal decision, and I want to make it very clear that I, re, I respect that. But these are two guys who have given up everything in their lives for their pursuit of a dream. And they, they, these two guys had to Shawshank their way out of losing franchises <laughs> to get here just to have a chance to compete for hardware. Crawl through wastewater. Unbelievable. And 
I'm telling you what, Randy, I, again, do not want to talk about this. I wish that we were, I wish that we were lamenting the Cardinals dropping two of three to Cincinnati and talking about moves at the deadline. I don't want to talk about, about their choice to not get the vaccine, but unfortunately that's where this is at. And I pray that the Cardinals don't miss the playoffs by two games. And I pray that the Cardinals don't somehow end up in Canada for the World Series because I don't want to wonder what the consequences of, of this decision will be had they get there. And ultimately, again, it's okay if you think that there is so much more to your life outside of baseball mm-hmm. and you made this choice for your for your health and your family. I'm very much team there's a big-time life outside of your career. But I also am somebody that when you open the door to saying that this isn't the most important thing to you, it does raise a lot of other questions. I'm going to give you one more. Do you think 15 years is a decent statute of limitations? Sure. Okay. So I'll give you a statute of limitations. And this won't affect our old friend, our late great friend, Chris Duncan. But I can tell you this about Tony LaRusa, who, by the way, is a win-at-all-costs guy. Remember reading and hearing, throughout the, 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 as the legend has it, when the Cardinals would go went up in San Diego to the, the lineup card, and all of the guys that were hurt during the last two weeks of the season, all of a sudden were in the lineup. Mm-hmm. Remember hearing that? And you go one through, and they go one through nine, and they say, oh, you know what? <laughs> we're actually pretty good. It's because about half of those guys had Toradol shots. Oh, yeah. Now, baseball has outlawed Toradol. Can't be used anymore. But Tony Larusa went to the team and went to every injured individual. Said, hey, we need you in there. Got to take a Toradol shot. And they did. And that's one of the reasons that the Cardinals won the 06 World Series. Was that comfortable for those guys? Absolutely not. But did they do it because Tony Larusa demanded it? They did, and they wound up winning. And for a lot of those guys, it's worth it. I know there's people that played on that team that are listening right now that would say, you know what, Uh, or some that tried it and it didn't work. But was it worth it to get the ring? Was it worth taking that shot to get the ring? For those guys, it was. And times have changed in 15 years. Times have changed dramatically in 10 years since the Cardinals won the 2011 World Series. But I'm just pointing out, back in my day, it was completely different. And it was all about getting the ring and nothing else. If, if, if there was discomfort about your future health, it wasn't talked about. Well, and these two guys are the guys, too, that you would have expected above anything else, that, that they would have had yep. that same energy. Yep. And I want to circle back to something you've said and I said, the first thing I said. We respect their choice, all right? There are Canadian rules that prevent them from going into Canada to play these games. We're in a free country, and they have the choice to not do it. But this is a sports show, and we voice our opinions. And for for different reasons, I, I think we both would have preferred that they be vaccinated so that they could play in these games. Yes, and again, you may think the rules are stupid. That's fine. The rules are in place. The rules are the rules. The rules are the rules. I'm sure all of us have rules at our place of employment that we don't necessarily agree with, but it's up to you because you have free will to make the decision whether you want to comply or not, and there are consequences of those decisions. As you know, Michelle, I would prefer to sit here doing a show with no clothes on, but... We have rules in place. Didn't know that about you, Randy. I didn't know you were a nudist. I did not know this about you. We're learning something new every day. Our our general manager walks by every morning, and the one time I tried it, he said, no, you can't do that. There's rules in place.
We're all dealing with our own health issues over here. <laughs> health crisis, indeed. Michelle, Randy, Matthew, great to have you with us on 101 ESPN. Start one, bench one, cut one. By the way, we do want you to weigh in, and you can leave us a mic drop with the Rhino Shield mic drop feature. That's coming up uh, at 9 o'clock, and we're also going to talk a lot of Matthew Kachuk during the course of the show. Anthony Becht, the head coach of St. Louis XFL. Uh, is going to join us, Chris Kerber, Pierre McGuire as well. A lot coming your way on this edition of Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. All right, we've got a lot of response here on the text line, the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. So we're going to hear from you because... The response has been overwhelming so far to Goldschmidt and Arenado not being able to play for the Cardinals in Toronto tomorrow and Wednesday. Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Feel free to re- leave a Rhino Shield mic drop. We do have that open for you. Just pick up your phone, use the 101 ESPN app to leave a mic drop, or you can just send us a text. Michelle, what do we got there? We have a ton of reaction coming in, as you might Imagine, Randy, from the 636, there's absolutely zero chance that this division doesn't come down to the last two to three games. Not having Goldie and Arenado available for two games is absolutely huge. I agree that it's huge, although it did seem this weekend, even with those guys, things did not look great for this team. And the trade deadline is a week from tomorrow, and the Cardinals, they have gone on hot stretches in September as before to make the playoffs. But as we, So you don't win the division, you don't make a playoff spot in late July, but over the weekend it did not look great. But at its base, I would agree that, the, uh, let me put it this way, I think the Cardinals, a, a playoff spot will come down to the final week and probably a couple of games. I the six one eight. I lost a lot of respect for Goldie and Arenado. I was in love with both of them, but this is a selfish act. It is selfish on their part. But that being said, Paul Goldschmidt carries himself in an exquisite manner as a professional athlete. Yeah. He is a he is a guy that you want representing your team and your town. And Nolan Arenado does the same thing, and that's why I. I I don't lose respect for them from a personal standpoint. They get to make their own choices. But from a competitive standpoint, and that was why I made the points that I did about people like Brock and Suter and Carpenter and Pujols, from a competitive standpoint, they just, and it probably has a lot to do with the era in which they play, Mm -hmm. they don't do the things that their predecessors did to get on the field and compete. From the 8-3-2, my take, Goldie and Arnado are letting the team down, plain and simple. Well, does the team have as good a chance to win if they aren't there? And then the other question is, could they have been there? So, yeah, I I would suggest that from my perspective as a fan, that's the case. And we don't know how the teammates feel about it. I know Miles Miles Michaelis is totally on board with them. He said he regrets not getting. So he doesn't feel like uh, he's being let down. But as a fan, yeah, I can see why that person would say they they feel let down. Absolutely. From the 618, I love your show, but disagree with both of your opinions. These two guys don't play baseball for the money. They do it because they love it. They don't know the potential long-term effects of the vaccine. Come on, guys. Well, number one, the mRNA vaccine has been around and been in development 
for about 30 years. And to this point, if you go to the CDC website or you go to the Mayo Clinic website, and we're getting into the weeds here, but there is no indication whatsoever that there are any long-term negative effects from mRNA. As a matter of fact, it leaves your body. Uh, Secondarily, what was the other part of that text? I'm sorry. Uh, well, the one that I would love so. to touch on is them saying they don't play baseball oh, for, the, for money. the money. There they do go. it for go. the love of the game. Go ahead. And I'm pretty sure they're not deferring any cash. I'm pretty sure both of them are making uh, over 20 and over $30 million per year. Yeah. It's a job. And your job requires you sometimes to do certain things or face the consequences. They aren't going out there for free because they love to, to play baseball. No. This is not the Sandlot. Yeah, Nolan Arenado did not take a discount when he signed the $240 million deal with the Rockies. No. I wish that they would take less money for love yeah. of the game. That'd be great. And by the way, they're not getting paid for the games that they're missing, so that's another consequence right. of this. Yep. I think they'll both be fine financially. But, I think so. But it is. It's a very serious decision and one that... And, and they must feel very steadfast about this if... You're going to take the heat publicly that this decision is likely going to bring your way. It's difficult decisions that you're going to have within the clubhouse and you're you're not available to your team to play and you're losing money. There's a lot of stuff that's at play here. And we get a text from the 636. Why are you two so worried about this? Think about it like this. My body, my choice. Government shouldn't tell you what to do or how you should put things in your body. Seriously. I applaud them. Well, that's great, but we're Cardinal fans, and we want to see the team succeed. That's why I'm concerned about it, because from a competitive standpoint, they aren't doing everything they can to get on the field. I'm not worried about their shots. I'm worried about them playing ball. Right. I very much agree with that sentiment, and that's why we're not talking about any of the PR staff or the front office Mm -hmm. members who might not be able to make the trip to Canada. We're talking about the two best players who aren't Mm going to be available to play. And as we mentioned in the first segment— when you're great, the the yeah. lens on you is more refined. It's more important for you to be available. And let me give you one more. This from the 314. Garbage takes, folks. I'll now seek STL Sports Talk Radio elsewhere. And I say good luck with that. Great. <laughs> also, this is not an airplane. You don't have to announce your departure. No. And by the way, we'll... we'll Probably hear from you next segment. So thanks for listening. <laughs> we do appreciate it. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, the XFL announced their cities last night, if not their team names. And the head coach of St. Louis XFL, Anthony Becht, joins us next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. With Michelle Smallman, I'm Randy Carricker. Great to have you with us on 101 ESPN in St. Louis. Last night, the XFL held a town hall in Arlington, Texas, to reveal their cities for the 2023 season. And those cities include Arlington, Texas, Houston, Texas, Orlando, Florida, Las Vegas, Nevada, Seattle, Washington, San Antonio, Texas, Washington, D.C., and... St. Louis, Missouri, and the head coach of XFL St. Louis is Anthony Beck, who joins us now on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Anthony, great to have you with us here in St. Louis. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm excellent, Randy, Michelle. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, exciting times uh, last night for the league, for myself, uh, for the city of St. Louis. Uh, you know, as I went back and just watched some of the clips from last uh, the last season where they had the XFL in St. Louis, the fan base looked awesome and i just want to you know try to boost that up 
and build it up as much as possible. And uh, really excited to get involved and come up to St. Louis and, and see the fan base myself. So as, as you noticed, a lot of those fans wore a lot of St. Louis Battlehawks gear. <laughs> Are you cool yeah. with them wearing that this morning on their way to work? Of course, yeah. I mean, listen, not, everybody's asking us, you know, what's the name going to be? You know, as soon as you get the city, it's always like, what's the next thing? But I, look, the, the XFL has great plans to roll out, uh, an awesome logo, everything they want to do. And uh, I think fans uh, should feel good about where we're at right now. The team is in town. It's back in St. Louis. And we'll make those announcements and we'll post those things and we'll get up to St. Louis and do some of those unveilings for names and logos. And it's going to be awesome. And uh, I think fans are really going to be excited. Well, Coach, we are excited. We're looking forward to this. Tell fans what they can expect out of an Anthony Becht coach football team. Yeah, you're going to get a lot of passion. You're going to get someone that uh, is very detailed in his every day-to-day activities. Uh, I played this game at a very high level. You know, I wasn't the fastest. I wasn't necessarily uh, the best athlete, maybe moving into my 12-year career. But I promise you there was never a time when I, I had to be not put on the field because of the fact that I was such an attentive player to details and making sure that everything was in line and it gave me a leg up really on the uh, some of the talent that was maybe behind me as a player throughout my career I was always brought in as a player to galvanize the tight end room galvanize the team be a leader for that locker room especially you know midway to the end of my 12 years in the NFL and uh, I've really everything I've done leading up to this point has really been put into the bucket for me to become uh, a great head coach, you know, 12 years in the league. I've been working with the NFL, with uh, trans uh, transitioning players from retiring from the NFL into real life. So dealing with players hand-on-hand. I've covered the college game for eight seasons with, NF- with the, with the uh, ESPN and also the NFL. So, you know, I might not have been live in those uh, situations where I had to make those decisions, but listen, I had to analyze every coach's decision for over 200 games, plus games that I've called – in my career, um, you're going to get a team that is uh, fully immersed, fully prepared on the football field. Uh, I'm going to max out every player's abilities to bring us the best possible team on game day. We're going to have an explosive offense. We're going to have a defense that flies around. I have an awesome staff put together. Obviously, Bruce Gurkowski, uh, former quarterback in the NFL, is our offensive coordinator, Donnie Abraham. But I'll tell you, I'm excited to, to bring out the names of some of our other coaches, which we'll do a little bit down the road, but uh, fans should be excited. Fans should uh, definitely get themselves out to the stadium, get those tickets, get those season tickets locked in. And uh, I, I know the crowds were big, but let's, let's try to make them bigger uh, for this upcoming season. It's going to be exciting. Anthony Beck, the head coach of XFL St. Louis with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. And Anthony, one of the things about the previous iteration of the XFL, I thought the competitive level level was really strong. And you aren't getting the NFL players, but you're getting guys, it seems like, that are just a notch below, some that have a real good chance to play in the NFL. Tell us about the typical St. Louis XFL player. What What's that going to look like? Well, you know, I think, first of all, you know, putting a great staff together is important. You know, that's my job to make sure the coaching staff is there, not only to, to help develop, but really – teach these players what we want to do so they can play fast. You know, we don't have a lot of time. We don't have OTAs. We don't have an off season. You know, we got training camp. We have the draft in November. We have training camp, and then we're rocking and rolling. So, you know, for us to have an explosive offense, how can we minimize things? How can we get things in place so guys can learn it so that they can max out their skill set on the field? I think there's a misnomer sometimes. Everybody's like, oh, who are the big-name players we're going to bring in? It's my job to facilitate these players so that we get some new stars on the football field, guys that can uh, excite the, the community, the fan base, 
on a week-to-week level, put a product that's out there, a great quarterback, an offensive line that gets better every single week, skill position players, defensive players that kids and fans can wear jerseys and really just rise up some of these guys. And, you know, it's, it's our job to get that product prepared quickly. And I think that's the biggest challenge and something that's different in all professional leagues is the amount of time you have. But, you know, I want that challenge. I want that challenge for our coaching staff. And, and I've seen a lot of players right now after six uh, showcases we had over the last two months, over 1,000 guys. And, of course, all these great players that are be, uh, getting, you know, pulled away from the preseason and training camps of the NFL. We have a large pool of guys to really hone in, study, and bring the best players that I can bring in the St. Louis area. Coach, before the XFL season was unfortunately shut down because of the pandemic, the Dome was absolutely rocking for the Battle Hawks. Yes, it, was. it was so packed, as you know. We had opened up the top level or the second level of the, the Dome for the L.A. game. It, it really had a lot of traction. But as you know, St. Louis has a complicated relationship with football. You acknowledged this in your tweet last night when you said football is back where it belongs in St. Louis. And you also mentioned we're not going anywhere. So for those fans who maybe during that time period have had negative feelings about the NFL or about football that you might want to return back to the Dome. What's your message to them? Well, for those fans that weren't there for that last verge in the XFL, now's your chance to come in and join in some of those fans that are coming back. I got so many tweets and and DMs from fans reaching out to me. I'm, I'm big on social networks, so I like to engage with as many fans as possible. I tried to go through and everyone that said they got season tickets, new fans, got... Uh, guys, families that were excited about, you know, getting tickets for the season. Uh, you know, look, I, it's going to be awesome. I mean, it's going to be something, honestly, it gave me chills. I, like I said, watching some videos, remembering some of those games, turning on and seeing the fans, uh, you know, the costumes, some of the makeup. I mean, these these fans were awesome. It just made, it kind of gave me goosebumps watching it. You know, as a former player playing 12 years, you you know, you're out there and you're playing. And sometimes, you know, you're so dialed into what you're doing. You don't really embrace the fan base. And I was telling them last night, you know, my last year, I kind of knew uh, when I was in Kansas City, that was my last season. I really took in the fans, whether they're booing, cheering, you know, uh, in the stands, what they were doing, driving to the stadium, watching them tailgate. You know, those things really struck a chord with me. And, and it really kind of like, wow, like I wish I was embraced this more as a player because you're so focused hyper-focused on what you're going to do. And I think with this league, we have an opportunity to really engage with the fan base. But uh, let's get them out of it. Give it a try. I mean, look, put the pressure on me to go out there and put a winning product. I'll take that on me. You know, I've had a lot of pressure in my career to do different things, being a, fir- a former first-round pick, trying to live up to expectations, played a long time. I've been around some fantastic coaches uh, in my career, played for five different organizations, and uh, I learned a lot. I learned a lot on the field, off the field. And uh, I'm a people person, and I can't wait to meet my players, sit down with them individually, get them to buy into the plan, learn how that get what get, gets their uh, game ticking, and get them ready and prepared to go so we can put a great product on the field. Anthony, one last thing for me. I'm glad you went to Kansas City and uh, took that venue to take in the booing and cheering. I'm glad that didn't happen with the 2008 St. Louis Rams. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you remember about that year? Well, yeah, this is, you know, struggling year in 2008. I came there through my relationships with some coaches and, and uh, you know, listen, it was an experience for me. I learned a lot in St. Louis. You know, the fan base was great, but it was a team that was kind of in uh, transition from some of those great early, late uh, 2090, early 2000 teams. But, uh, man, I got some great relationships with some of the all-time best players still to this day. The Torrey Holtz, uh, the Orlando Paces, the Kurt Warners, 
uh, the Trent Greens. Uh, a lot of these guys are still friends of mine and you know, got a lot of texts from them. And uh, congratulations. And I'm fired up about it. And, uh, you know, I want to bring these guys back. I want to be a part of game day. I want to bring them in front of the fans again. Uh, they're all looking for me to have a successful uh, uh, plan and, and operation out there. And I love the city of St. Louis. I love living there. Very family-oriented. The fan bases were great. I, I traveled all the towns. I had a little time to myself. You know, Mark Bolger, former quarterback, was my college roommate. We got the roommate a little bit. I lived in his big establishment out there uh, for a couple <laughs> m- months in the spring, which is nice, in the right wing of his house. So that was great. I want to get him back. So, you know, anything I can do to really bring that feel and buzz, if there's, if there's uh, fans that miss a little bit of that, that old-school team, I'm going to try to bring some of them players back on game day and uh, have them part of that, uh, uh, that celebration as well. But really fired up. Can't wait to get into town. I'm going to try my best to get up there several times throughout the summer and, the, uh, and during the fall, uh, see the community, meet some people, maybe come by live to the studio and see you guys as well and uh, just try to immerse myself as much as possible so we're ready to kick off in February. Anthony Beck sounds great. Thanks so much for the time this morning. Congratulations, and we will see you here in St. Louis when you get here. Randy, Michelle, thanks for having me on. Take care. That is Anthony Becht. He is the head coach of XFL St. Louis. I think it's going to be the Battle Hawks. It better be. Yeah. I've got a Kaka shirt in my closet that I almost wore this morning. <laughs> I just think it would be so, it would be a huge miss for them to not capitalize mm-hmm. on the excitement that the brand of the Battle Hawks already has here in St. Louis. No doubt. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, take it or leave it on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Take it or leave it. Give us your feedback now by texting 65780. It's Take It or Leave It with Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Powered by Gloria Lou Realty. Visit GloriaHasTheBuyers.com and start packing. We're going to talk about Matthew Kachuk coming up at the top of the 8 o'clock hour. And right now, take it or leave it, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Michelle, take it or leave it, in the eight years that Matthew Kachuk is under contract, the next eight years, to the Florida Panthers, they will win a Stanley Cup. I'll take that. I am going to take it, too. Uh, and don't you hate to take it? Yeah. But they were pretty good last year, and Huberto was the second leading scorer in the league. Huberto's great. Wegar is a really good defenseman, but what they needed was that little bit of chippiness, not a little bit, a lot of chippiness that Matthew Kachuk brings to the table. I wouldn't be surprised if they won this coming season. Take it or leave it, you're shocked that Doug Armstrong's offer for Matthew Kachuk didn't include Jordan Cairo. I will take that, simply because we sat here a lot and said, well, if you're going to trade for Matthew Kachuk, it's going to cost you Jordan Cairo. He's got to be Mm -hmm. part of, of the offer, but... I do think, number one, well, let me put it this way. Jordan Cairo in the offer would not have surpassed Jonathan Huberto. Huberto is yeah. a great, great player. Now, Cairo's control may have attracted Calgary more than Huberto, but Calgary's got a lot of really expensive players. They can't afford to go into rebuild mode right now. They're giving their goalie eight million, six or $8 million a year. They've got like a half a dozen really expensive players, so they need to try to win in 2022, 2023, and I think any deal that they could have gotten from the Blues probably would have paled in comparison to what they wound up getting. All right, your tech 65780. Matthew, what do you got? Take it or leave it. NFL teams need to go back to home white jerseys. NFL? Yeah. Never wore home whites. 
Yeah, well, they need to go to home. Well, that's I, I was reading his text. I'll reframe oh. it. They need to go to home white jerseys like much of the other sports do. Um, yeah, I'll take that. I, I think uh, one of the reasons, and I've had this conversation with blues people in the past, because the NHL used to wear home whites. I like seeing the different colored jerseys of all the other franchises that come into town. I, I like seeing the, the Blackhawks red rather than them wearing coming in and seeing a different white jersey every night. I like seeing all the different colored jerseys. I like the colored ones as well. I'm not super... I know some people are so passionate about stuff like that. I don't really care either way. Yeah, I just... I'm not it's not a game changer for me yeah but I just prefer to see it yeah yeah I'm with you on that one Randy take it or leave it the rock will be here on opening kickoff I'll take it well he better be because this is a crown jewel franchise of the XFL so it would serve Dwayne and Danny well to Mm. get familiar with the city that's going to carry them in the ratings and in attendance Take it or leave it. Our XFL coach has zero experience. Our XFL offensive coordinator has zero experience, and this is an XFL NFL setup. He was just a high school O coordinator. Take it or leave it. They should have gotten Jeremy Macklin. I'll 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 leave it. Anthony Beck seems like he has a lot of good history yeah. from what he said to us. So yeah, I'm not going to begrudge him. Guy played in the league. He understands what it means to be a professional mm-hmm. a football player. I'm giving him a chance. By the way. I love the way that he, as he mentioned, is involved on social media. He's mm-hmm. been keeping fans updated. We we kind of had an inkling that he would be the coach, so I've been following him. And I think that he's going to keep people engaged. And I think it's going to be fun to get a peek behind the curtain mm-hmm. from the coach, especially because the team's not going to be headquartered here in St. Louis. So I actually am really excited that Anthony Beck is the head coach. That texture had multiple theories about the NFL and the XFL colluding to screw over St. Louis even worse. Well, if they wanted to do that, then they just wouldn't have given us a franchise. Yeah, my buddy, exactly. you, you got you to gotta open your heart and learn to love again. That's all I got to say to that. Uh, take it or leave it. The Blues would have been worse if they had actually had to pony up enough to get Kachuk. I, I guess so, because you're probably talking O'Reilly and Pareko. Can't do that. No, if you're, you're talking... <laughs> Can't do that. No, I, I don't think so. <laughs> no. So... Doesn't appear that anybody really had any significant interest around the league in '91. By the way, he's he's a blue, and I wonder if the Blues now approach him about an extension because we've said either you you sign it or you, you trade him or you extend him. There, there. Jamie has talked about this in the fast lane. I I don't think there's an in between with Tarasenko. So if, if I'm in the blue shoes right now, I try to sign him not at an outrageous rate but at a reasonable rate i try to bring him back for two or three years my how the turntables turn mm-hmm. we go from vladdy wanting to be traded literally anywhere last offseason to us suggesting they might be open to giving him an extension well, and i had a conversation with several friends not nhl friends over the course of the weekend and one of them was actually jeremy rutherford and i i made the point because i believe it to be true that the worst thing you can do as a player or a player's representative, worst thing you can do when you have a relationship with a team or a league is to rip the medical staff because you just don't rip the doctors and trainers. And that's exactly what he did. And I have to believe that's part of the reason that people don't want him around because nobody wants their medical staff ripped. Nobody wants their laundry out in the public and that's exactly what whoever was speaking for Vladimir Tarasenko provided. Take it or leave it. It's still going to be the Battle Hawks but the logo and the colors will change. Leave it. Leave it. Why would they do that? Caw-caw. 
I really wanted to call, call. I really wanted to call coach, but I know mm-hmm. that he can't really engage in that until right. the announcement. Yeah. But for those of you who are wondering why we didn't give coach the cacao, that's why. And I am not a big advocate, Michelle, of silver in sports uniforms, but I did think that the Battlehawks uniforms were beautiful and the helmet was beautiful. They were awesome. The logo, Perfect the colors. Blue. Oh yeah, great. Missouri got picked fifth in the SEC East. Take it or leave it. They finished top three. Well, George is going to be ahead of them. I don't know about Florida first-year coach. I don't know about South Carolina. Tennessee, probably. Vandy will finish behind him. Kentucky will finish ahead. <laughs> so, no, I'm going, to, I'm going to say they don't finish top three. Yeah. I, I don't know about the defense at all. I don't know about the offense. I don't know who the quarterback's going to be. I saw something pop up on my Twitter. Was game. It was an article. It was an article from a non-Mizzou affiliated thing talking about how there's a lot of good young talent in the defensive line. And it could be one of the best in the SEC. And I was like, oh, uh, not not this time. You're not, there. you're not tricking me into this one. Fool all me over once, again. right? Yeah. <laughs> Fool me once. Thank you. Exactly. <laughs> Fool me once. Shame on you. Fool me once. Shame on me. Take it or leave it. STL 2023 XFL champs. I'll take it. Yeah, I'll take it. Why not? Why not? We're in St. Louis. They were in great position to be the champs before the XFL shut down. The team was rolling. Got to find a way to get Jordan Tiamu back here, by the way. Love it. I think he's in the USFL, but I don't know if he was starting. He's ours. Yeah, he belongs to us. Yeah, bring him back. Yeah, he was great. I love Jordan Tiamu. Where'd it go? Take it or leave it. Between Kachuk and Goldie slash Arenado, this is the most disappointing STL sports weekend in a long time. I'll take it. Pretty bad. Yeah. We had a pretty good indication that the XFL was returning to St. Louis, mm-hmm. but things were so bleak in that moment. I'm like, what if they just pulled the rug from underneath us? It just fit the weekend, wouldn't yeah, it? It just would have been the cherry on top of a pretty bad Sunday. Yeah. Take it or leave it. Toronto shouldn't be eligible for the playoffs if teams can't travel up there to play them with their full roster. Well, I, I got to leave it because that's... Them, them's the rules. Those are the rules. Yeah, and Canada has rules. And by the way, MLB has rules that if you don't get vaccinated and your team is going to Canada and you're on the restricted list, like Arenado and Goldschmidt are, this is their union that agreed to this. You don't get paid. And Romine, I, I, I always forget. I don't know how I forget Austin or Romine. I just do. Is it Austin or Kevin? Austin. Okay. We wouldn't even be discussing this if <laughs> it was Kevin and no, and no, dis- brother, no disrespect to Austin Romine. If Austin Romine was the only member of the St. Louis Cardinals that was not making the trip up north, we wouldn't even be discussing wouldn't it. Care. No. It would be. It wouldn't even be a footnote of the show. And there's yeah. no disrespect to him. But when it's your two best yeah. players and you've got a, a division on the line. It's kind of a problem. Except with all due respect. I mean it, too. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Matthew. Thank you, Randy. And thank you very much for your texts. We do appreciate them. To Take It or Leave It on 101 ESPN. Coming up, Matthew Kachuk is now a member of the Florida Panthers. And Jeremy Rutherford talked to him, interviewed him, and we have the sound from the interview next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Fresh perspective on the day's biggest stories. It's Carriker and Smallman's Fresh Take. Brought to you by Schnucks Rewards. It pays to shop at Schnucks. Download the Schnucks Rewards app today.
8.04 in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. With Michelle Smallman, I'm Randy Carricker. And over the weekend, Matthew Kachuk was traded to the Florida Panthers, not to the St. Louis Blues, which Uh. we had hoped would be the case. And he does go for a really good package. He goes for... uh, the second leading scorer in the league, Jonathan Huberdeau, who's a great player, and he'll help Calgary. Mackenzie Weger, who is a plus 40 big defenseman, Daryl Sutter type player, and really fits the DNA of what Daryl Sutter wants on his team. They also get a prospect and a first round pick, a lottery protected first round pick. And our friend Jeremy Rutherford, our Blues insider from The Athletic, has a piece up right now at The Athletic that you can check out in which he talked to Matthew Kachuk and some of the things that Matthew talked about with JR, what this process has been like for Matthew. I don't know. I guess it was like the longest week ever, the longest week and a half or two weeks ever. It was a uh, it was a long process that honestly wasn't didn't take up that much time, but um, kind of just something that I've, I've been thinking about for a little while and how to have it... Uh, um, you know, behind me and in and, and a place where I, I'm ecstatic to be in, uh, it, it, uh, it's, it's a good feeling right now. I'm sure it is a good feeling to have it all wrapped up and know that he's going to have the stability to be in a certain organization for a long period of time. That can't be a comfortable place to be in as a player where you've been with one organization for several years and you've alerted them that you're not going to be with them long term. And even though you've given them a list of places you want to go, you don't really know where you're going to land. That has to be uncomfortable. So as much as we wish it was here in St. Louis, as much as we were all anticipating that that might be the final landing spot, I am happy for Matthew that he found a place where he feels so great about being. Yeah, and as Michelle mentioned, one of the teams on his list was the Blues. Why? Just being the hometown team and and the team that I I wore the jersey for when I was younger, I know it was the Junior Blues, but pretty much the same thing. And, you know, I think I was just thought that, that, you know, they too have a have a really good team and a great place to play so you know obviously there was um you know some interest for me there and yeah just you know could i picture myself there yes but i am uh, truly truly happy where i am and I, I think where i you know i know where i am right now is is the best place for me it was the you know the best option it's just kind of checked off every single box for me. but i think that you know playing at playing at home i'm sure every hometown kid will say it's it's special for you but it's more special for the people that got you here too but um, that's okay. Uh, everybody else. Um, the great part about about my family and the close people around me is is they want to what's best for me, and they knew that it was in Florida. And with everything, and they checked every box, and they're super excited to come see me play there. Some self awareness from a 24 year old. Yeah, it's great for you to go home, but it's it's better and more important for the people that got you to the NHL, like his family and friends. And as he mentioned there, that they just wanted what was best for him. Even though it would be great for him to represent his hometown city, they also want him to be in a place where he's going to have the best chance to succeed. And it seems like Florida was a good option. But this was a pretty exciting possibility. I've always been you know, intrigued by that ever since I've been younger and told we had a list of teams, a very, very small list, and um, I'm not gonna, you know, comment out of respect for for them or for my situation if they were on it. But right. I'm, I'm sure people could uh, could probably put two and two together. And um, you know, it's just uh, yeah, obviously a great organization. And, and and getting to know them a little bit, they have unbelievable ownership and and a great GM. And and you know, talking to the talking to 
um, you know, some guys at their team that I don't normally talk to or, or I do talk to and I have in the past, but not about this. It was, it was cool to learn about them. And um, they obviously have a really, uh, really solid team. And um, they've been uh, a great team for a while, which is, uh, you know, they've, they've got a great culture here. So I'm, I'm sure they're going continue, to continue to do great things. But Michelle, evidently the Blues offered Vladimir Tarasenko and Marco Scandella and a pick. Mm-hmm. And the offer to... Matthew Chuck was not financially what he wound up getting from the Panthers. As Jeremy reported, between nine and nine and a half. So let's just go split the difference and say the Blues offer is probably nine and a quarter million dollars a year. I was very surprised when I heard the offer, the reported offer that Doug Armstrong made for Matthew Kachuk because it just seemed like if you were going to put together a very attractive package for Calgary that Jordan Cairo would at least be the starting point Mm -hmm. or at least you would assume that that's where they would want the conversation to start a young superstar that they would be able to to build around and that could be a foundational piece for them and I know that Vladdy's coming off a great year and is a star in his own right but I would just think that they would want to err on the side of youth when it came when it comes to making a deal for um, as he's been described a unicorn like Matthew Kachuk and I wonder if as the Blues approached this this has to be part of it. So apparently there's no interest in giving up a, or, or in somebody else taking Vladimir Tarasenko. So you can't clear the... Some of the players... You can't clear the... Here, Matthew. Matt, you're, 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 you're playing, playing that over there. Okay, there you go. Uh, <laughs> so you can't clear the cap space uh, for, for Tarasenko. So you couldn't have got him anyway. But even if you could, let's just assume that you could have done that, gotten rid of Tarasenko, brought in Matthew Kachuk with this contract you still have to concern yourself with Ryan O'Reilly next year. And I wonder how much of that played into the Blues' thought process is, okay, we have to be able to keep Ryan O'Reilly around too. Yeah, there's a lot of decisions that needed to be made to make the financial puzzle fit, not only for this season, but for next season. But I have to tell you, Randy, we felt very excited about the possibility of Matthew Kachuk coming here, and it felt like David Perron not being brought back was a financial decision and that was Mm -hmm. clearing hopefully the runway to secure a player like Matthew Kachuk and as disappointing as it is that we didn't land Matthew Kachuk here in St. Louis I'm equally as disappointed that then you still don't have David Perron as part of the equation yeah no doubt about it and it seems like well the Blues had the choice between Letty and Perron and they've decided to go with what They won the Stanley Cup with, primarily, and that is a team built on defense, and they lose one of their two most important forwards in the process. And having to make that choice, they lost one of their two most important forwards. And so, Vladdy's going to have to step up again next year. Butchnevich is going to have to ascend to a different level. Kairou's going to have to ascend to a different level. And, as we've talked about a lot, somebody's going to have to inherit that leadership role that David Brown provided as well. And I... Hope that guy's Robert Thomas. Yeah. Now, we pretty much always exclusively referred to Matthew Kachuk. We didn't just call him Matthew Kachuk. We called him Future Blue Matthew Kachuk. We did. We we're trying to speak it into existence. Yeah. St. Louis loves the guy. Yeah. Did he feel that? I could. I was actually out of town for most of it, but even then, I could feel the love and I could could feel how passionate they are and how much they, uh, they did want me. You know, hopefully they... Uh, Felt the love that uh, I felt from. Hopefully, they can they can cheer me on uh, every game I play this year, except for against the Blues. I totally understand that, but 
um, I think that uh, I realize that there's a lot of people that have been following me that have followed me and that uh, you know really enjoy watching me and, and want me to be, be a part of their team and that's uh, that's the ultimate compliment so I can't uh, thank them enough for you know like the love that they've shown and they've what they've shown me throughout my career and uh, yeah it's it's nice to know that there I have some fans and and uh, another city that's not my uh, my team city because that's uh, that doesn't really happen too much with me around the league. <laughs> He's yeah, <laughs> that's true. Yeah. He, he's he's still one of our guys. Always, and he always will be. Just like Max Scherzer is always going to be right. one of our guys that we cheer for. Um, but I do hope that this isn't one of those situations, Randy. And I know that St. Louis would have never been able to put together an offer that would have competed with what Florida ultimately gave up. But I do hope that this isn't one of those situations where years down the road we're still looking at this as a what if situation, oh, and if this is still something where there's a glaring need for a player like Matthew Kachuk on the Blues, the way there's a glaring need for a player like Max Scherzer on the Cardinals, that we're still not in emotional turmoil over the fact that he didn't land here. And I want to make this point, and I, uh, I, I'm not going to I'm not going to give your opinion. You can give your opinion, but I'll give you my opinion here. I don't think there's any way right now that the Blues are better than they were at the end of Game 6 against Colorado. It doesn't feel that way, no. They, they still have Letty. They've added a bunch of fourth-line, lower-priced guys. They don't have David Perron. So I just... And Billy Huso. And Billy Huso, right. Which and is a huge that, piece that, for me. Thomas, that was expected, well, but I, it's a lot of pressure on Jordan Bennington. I, I hope, I hope, I hope they can <laughs> fix Thomas Grice. But he's been kind of a disaster for a couple of years and I don't know that that's going to happen. So, yeah, says a big part of this, too. And, yes, you can't keep everybody. But this might be uh, another transition year for the St. Louis Blues. Hard to win when you're counting on Bull Duke and neighbors to do what the Blues are counting on them to do. And rookies, hey, we saw Robert Thomas as a rookie. Mm-hmm. We saw Jordan Cairo as a rookie. Yep. We saw Zach Sanford as a rookie, too. And, and Tage Thompson. It doesn't always work out for you with rookies. It doesn't. And my main feeling of they're not in a better position than they were the last time we saw them play has a lot to do with number 57 because a lot of players needed to step up in that series and didn't. But David Perron was one of them. Bingo. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. It's 101 ESPN. And coming up next, we'll talk more about the Kachuk trade to the Panthers with the voice of the blues, Chris Kerber on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Got a chance to see Chris Kerber at an event that uh, Ben Boyd from the St. Louis Cardinals held over the weekend. Ben is, uh, like Kerbs, uh, a huge advocate and actually put his money where his mouth uh, is in terms of working with big brothers, big sisters. And tragically, the little brother that Ben Boyd had was murdered a couple of months ago. And so there was a fundraiser for uh, the memory of Jarvis Wheat. And joining us now is Chris Kerber. And Kerbs, uh, I know that it meant a lot to you to be at that event because of your involvement with big brothers, big sisters, and to support our mutual friend, Ben Boyd. Yeah, you know what, Randy, it really did. And uh, uh, just to watch how Ben has helped Jarvis's family steer through this uh, goes so much more beyond what Big Brothers, Big Sisters uh, is even all about. It, it, it just shows you how, one, not only the need for it, but two, just how you become you know so close with, with the, the peers and, and, and the kids. 
that you're mentoring and um, just so proud of Ben and, and what he did. And it, and it is tragic because Jarvis, uh, uh, his his sister about 10 years ago uh, uh, had, had been shot as well. And, and so that family's dealt with some real tragedy. So to see you, uh, John Jay was out there, uh, you know, so many others, Steve Moore and, and, and so many people that have worked with, with Ben over the years, uh, you showed up, uh, the Cardinals, uh, represented the blues represented, everybody did. And, uh, a tragedy without a doubt, but Ben uh, and Jarvis's family doing the best they can with it. It was, it was really a special day. Absolutely. Curbs. And, and what a sad situation. Uh, let's ask you about Matthew Kachuk though. That's the headline of the day in the NHL and here in St. Louis. What did you make of the reported offer that the blues pose to Calgary for Matthew Kachuk? Uh, you know what? Every time I, I think of an offer, I think of what there was one hang-up, Michelle, and the hang-up was was the fact that uh, two of the salaries, or you, you were going to have to, no matter what, have to move a, a salary like a Tarasenko's, like a Tory Krug. Otherwise, it was just going to cost you too many pieces off your roster, you know. And and so like you would have you would have had to piecemeal a Scandella, a Barbashev, a Kairou, and still wouldn't have had enough space, right? So. The problem that I think, if and, and I haven't talked to Doug or anybody yet about this, but there's two things that jump off the page at me. One, the Blues didn't have a 115-point player to swap back, uh, so that's an interesting factor. I, I guess that's number that, that there's actually three things. Two is the fact that the no-trade clauses that the Blues have given their players plays a role in this. You could, you know, you can offer a player to Calgary, uh, but if there are full no-trade clauses versus the modified ones, then the player could say no, and that makes it extremely hard to move. And so even if you've had enough pieces to get the deal done, you still had to try and find a way to move one of those types of contracts, and that, that I think is a lot harder to do, which reemphasizes when everybody sits back and says, hey, why don't you just give a full no movement? There's one of the great reasons why. You look at uh, Ryan McDonough, for example, with uh, you know that, that Tampa traded to Nashville. Yeah, he agreed to it, but he had a full no-movement clause. The only thing you can do is say, okay, look, you can pick a team you want to go to. We'll try to get a deal done. Or if you don't want to do it that way, we'll waive you, and then you could end up in, in, in Ottawa you know, or someplace. So, um, you know, th- that's up to you. And so that's the second one. The third one for me is, is really the fact that when you really look at it, if you're Brad Trey Living and you've just been left at the altar at the 11th hour by Johnny Gaudreau, now the next cornerstone of your franchise – has told you, albeit a lot more up front than Gaudreau did, I'm, I'm not like to, I'm not likely to re-sign with you. I got to think Brad Trey Living is sitting there thinking, listen, I like him, I respect Matthew Kachuk, but I'm not necessarily in the business of trying to make you real happy by sending you home, you know. So, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> uh, and, and, then, and then you could send him. And on top of that, this is this has got a classic edge to it. You traded him out of your conference, right? You traded him where you only have to deal with him twice a year in the regular season. And then not again until the Stanley Cup final. So there's there's a lot to it. And in the end, it, it probably shook out the way it was supposed to. So, Curbs, let's go back to something that you've mentioned in the past. And it seems as if Bull Duke and Neighbors are going to have to play relatively key roles with the Blues this year. And I was mentioning to Michelle before the break, hey, we've had to rely on Zach Sanford in the past as a young player. We've had to rely on Tage Thompson in the past. We've had to, uh, Kyrou and Thomas had to grow up. It doesn't, for most guys, happen overnight that you turn into a good NHL player in your first month in the league. It doesn't happen for superstars either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you could pick up a ton of points like Connor McDavid has done right from the start. 
but it also shows you, you know, how how hard it is to win. Look, look at look at Nathan McKinnon. Look at Gabriel Landeskog. These guys that just won a Stanley Cup. It, it, it takes a while, and it takes a team. And that's one of the reasons, if you go back to the Kachuk thing, it's, it's one of the reasons we're giving up too many pieces doesn't make sense. But, Randy, you're seeing it even with the St. Louis Cardinals now. Youth in your lineup doesn't always win, and, you know, because there's growing pains. I mean, when you hear, uh, you know, Ali Marmol talking about, you know, a guy that's in a bit of some say, well, there's growing pains, and the only way to get through is you got to go through it. That's every sport. So the reason that you were able to have success, I think, with Robert Thomas in 2019 and Zach Sanford and Sammy Blake, was because you had Steen and O'Reilly and Tarasenko and Schwartz and Perron, and you had all the veteran guys that could play the roles, and those guys really played support roles with high-end skill that wound up finding a way to be impactful, look no further than the Pat Maroon double overtime goal. But if those are the guys you're relying on to make the plays and carry the mail, it's just it's hard to win. And can you find lightning in a bottle with it? Yes, you can. But there's growing pains that go with it. I mean, look at a couple of the goals that were scored with Cairo on the ice against Colorado. You know, those are they're growing pains. They're learning moments, and you've got to go through them. So, to me, uh, to me, they're going to have to play roles. Uh, I think the shift from okay, there's no Matthew Kachuk available. What does your future hold? I think it's pretty clear to see where the Blues' future goes with these young guys. But you still got to surround with good quality veterans to help carry the mail there to grow them quicker. Curbs, we were talking about this earlier in the show, but it's kind of amazing to me that this time last year we were talking about Vladimir Tarasenko wanting to go literally anywhere in the NHL to get out of St. Louis, and now he seems to be firmly cemented on this team, and, and maybe we're talking about an extension or something with the future. It's kind of crazy how life happens. Well, it, it is, isn't it? And, you know, that's why that's why he just let things play out. I mean, <laughs> look, and, and, it, and it still may go that way, you know, Look, it's, I, I think at some point Doug Armstrong's going to probably have to determine, much like Brad Trey Living just did with Matthew Kachuk, what are your intentions for Vladimir Tarasenko? Because to me, I don't see Vladimir Tarasenko as a rental guy. I, I think if, you, if you've got the inkling that this guy is going to be leaving, I, I think you try to find if there's a deal to be made, a deal to be made. Um, and then if there's not, then I, then I guess he becomes your own rental. But to me, yeah, look. When the agent speaks out like that, I think Vladimir was put in a bad spot last year. We talked plenty about that. And then he came in and he had a good year. He proved himself. He had to prove himself. He had been unhealthy for three years. I mean, he had to prove himself, and he and he did do that. And in the process, though, the Blues bring in another Russian like Pavel Buchnevich. There's some camaraderie. There's some friendship. There's some fun that comes back to it, and situations change. And that's why uh, it's okay to play those things out a little bit. And if And if there's a change of heart and a change of mind, you know we're all for that. So, but right now it appears that Doug seems pretty, uh, pretty intent on having him part of this team. Hey, Curbs, I, I want to ask you one more, and this is about a guy that we've talked about a lot, but he just turned twenty-three, and we've we talked about his opportunities in the past. But Clem Costin is still around. I wonder if at some point he'll t- at least turn into a fourth-line guy. Because to me, I- I've got. Barbashev and Cairo with O'Reilly. I've got Thomas with Butchnevich and Tarasenko. I've got neighbors because they say he's a top nine guy. So I've got neighbors with Shen and Saad. But man, there's going to be some openings on that fourth line, aren't there? With Logan Brown, Torpchenko out right now, but Achiari, Nathan Walker, Bolduke, Furk, 37 might get an opportunity and maybe he can take advantage of it. 37 is going to get another opportunity, you think, unless he's dealt. And, and, you know, the reality of it is, is he came over when he was 18. 
Um, he was that 32nd overall pick, dealt with an injury, a little bit of a gamble of a pick. He's got some of the grit. He's, he's willing to bang the body around and, and play that way. It just hasn't translated to a lot of consistency yet. And you're right. He's only, he's only 23. If you look at it, he's the same age as Cairo, right? Pretty much the same age as, mm-hmm. you know, and, and the difference was is being that he did play junior hockey and, and was coming over from Europe. He could play in the American Hockey League at 18. And uh, so he's developed a little bit slower. But, yeah, he's still around. The one thing, Randy, that will have to be defined very early on by the Blues is, and, and not be a question mark as it was all of last year is how do you define and sort out your bottom six and what is the identity of this hockey team? And right now, I, I think with the loss of David Perron um, and the way things have just kind of sorted out because of the cap, I think that probably is still a fair question to ask. But without a doubt, you have to figure out what is your identity as a hockey team and and they were looking for that consistency on the fourth line. And right now, that fourth line is completely unput together, and they'll have to figure out how that builds. Curbs, as always, great stuff. Thanks so much for the time. We appreciate it. You have a great week, and we will talk soon. Yeah, you guys do as well. And, uh, Randy, thanks again for uh, for being there for Batman. That was an awesome event. Yeah, thank you very much for being yeah. there as well. That's the voice you of the blues, it. Chris Kerber, here on 101 ESPN. Coming up next, The Fight. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on Character and Smallman. In the red corner, average Joe Listener. And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of Morning Drive. Please welcome Randy Carricker. It's time for the fight on Carriker and Smallman here on 101 ESPN. It is 836 in St. Louis. That time check is brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. So on Friday, Randy won his 15th fight in a row. We're trying to see if he can match the Cardinals' 17-game win streak of last season, their historic 17-win game of last season. He's got two to go, and Gary's on deck to try to stop him today. Good morning, Gary. How you doing? Good morning. Way to put the pressure on me early in the morning. So let's see what we can do with Randy. <laughs> well, to be fair, Gary, the pressure is always on when you're going to face Randy. Well, look on the bright side. On the good side, I had my first grandchild delivered on Thursday. So I hope that carries over with some more luck. Congratulations, Gary. Way to go. Yes, very much. Grandpa Gary. And what is your first grandchild's name? His name is Dax. Dax. Love it. Very cool. Well, Gary, congratulations again and good luck to you today. Hopefully Dax can send you some good vibes. Okay. Thank you, Michelle. You got it. Question number one. Roger Maris is most well known for his time with the Yankees, as well as locally for his final two years in Major League Baseball as a Cardinal. What team did Maris first play for? Was it the Kansas City Athletics, the Boston Braves, or the Cleveland Indians? Let's go with the uh, Boston Braves. What team did the Yankees trade Jay Buhner to, forever earning the ire of Frank Costanza? Was that the Houston Astros, the Detroit Tigers, or the Seattle Mariners? The Seattle Mariners. Despite retiring as the all-time career leader in rushing yards, Walter Payton only led the league in rushing once across his 13-year career from 1975 to 1987. Across that stretch, two different running backs led the league three different times. One was Eric Dickerson. Who was the other? Was that Earl Campbell, O.J. Simpson, or Marcus Allen? 
Let's go with OJ. Nate Thurman was the first player to ever record an official quadruple double in the NBA. Who is the only player to do it since 1990? Is it Tim Duncan, Anthony Davis, or David Robinson? Let's go with uh, let's go with Tim Duncan on that. The score has been confirmed. Randy's getting waved in. All right, Gary, how are you feeling after you've completed the fight? Uh, not feeling very good, to be honest with you. So we'll see how it goes, though. <laughs> That's true. You know, it's very rare that after someone does the fight, they feel great about it. I have to tell you, most people do feel the same way. Uh, Randy, as you get your headset on, please say good morning to Gary. Gary's a new grandpa. He had his first grandson last week. Dax is is also with us in in spirit and energy. Gary, congratulations to you, and uh, congratulations to Dax as well. Thank you, Randy. Grandchild's name, right? Yes. Awesome. That's good for you. Awesome. All right. Megamind, are you ready to go? Question number one, Roger Maris is most well-known for his time with the Yankees, as well as locally for his final two years in Major League Baseball as a Cardinal. What team did Roger Maris first play for? So the Yankees were kind of um, the big leagues, and the Kansas City A's were like their developmental team. The A's, at that time in Kansas City, traded a lot of good players to the Yankees over the years. It was the Kansas City Athletics. What team did the Yankees trade Jay Buhner to, forever earning the ire of Frank Costanza? Why'd you trade Buhner? Uh, they traded uh, Jay Buhner to the Seattle Mariners. Despite retiring as the all-time career leader in rushing yards, Walter Payton only led the league in rushing once across his 13-year career from 1975 to 1987. I was there. Were you? 1979, yeah. Okay. Across that stretch, two different running backs led the league three different times. One was Eric Dickerson. Who was the other? I am going to suggest that over those... So give me his career again. Campbell's, or not Campbell, Earl Campbell's going to be my guess, I think. But give me Walter's career. The years? 75 through 87? Yes, sir. Um, so Dickerson would be one. 75. Give him the Dickerson years just to make, just yeah, I, I, I it was on there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Dick, so Dickerson would have been, what, 84, 85 and 87, probably, because he sat out in 86. 83, 84, 86. Okay, so th- that's EDs. So, uh, Campbell was a rookie in 78, 79. I'm going to go Earl Campbell here. Nate Thurman was the first player to ever record an official quadruple double. Who was the only person to do it since 1990? I believe it was the Admiral, sir. I think it was David Robinson of the San Antonio Spurs. Randy's trying to get to 17-plus. He's got 15 in the books. Right? He has 15 in the books. Yes. Okay. So today would be number 16. Yes, he would. One away. Did he do it? Or did Gary get that new grandpa energy and stop Randy in his tracks? Matt, ring the bell. The winner and still champion of the fight, Randy Carricker. Just win, baby. Gary, I'm so sorry. I was cheering for you so hard, but Randy beat you three to one. <laughs> He's tough, man. I'll tell you that. I hope he gets that 17 now. I know. I know. Because <laughs> then you can be part of history. Thank you, Gary. Yes. Yeah, so Roger Maris is most well known for his time with the Yankees at, and locally for his final two years as a Cardinal. His first team that he played for was the Cleveland Indians. Oh. 
57 so and 58. He came to the Yankees from the he got tra- He drafted by the Indians, played with them for a year and a half, traded to the Athletics halfway through his second year. Gotcha. The Yankees traded Jay Buhner to the Seattle Mariners for Kem Phelps. What the hell did you trade Jay Buhner for? <laughs> 30 home runs and over 100 RBIs last year. He's got a rocket for an arm. You don't know what the hell you're doing. Well, Buhner was a good prospect, no question about it. But my baseball people love Ken Phelps bat. They kept saying, Ken Phelps, Ken Phelps. Uh, that's one of my favorite Seinfeld moments of all time. Never seen Seinfeld. I'm out of the loop here. Despite retiring as the all-time leader in rushing yards, Walter Payton only led the league in rushing once across his 13-year career, which is very surprising. Across that stretch, two different running backs led the league three different times, Eric Dickerson and Earl Campbell, who did it from 78 to 80. Quite the stretch there for Earl Campbell. And Nate Thurman was the first player to ever record an official quadruple-double, the only person to do it, since 1990, is David Robinson. Gary, thanks so much for listening. Thanks for playing, and enjoy your new grandson. I appreciate that, guys. You guys have a wonderful day. Good luck, Randy, on getting that 17-plus, and let's get the Cardinals to go out there and get Juan Soto now. You guys have a great day. Love it, Gary. You too, thanks. <laughs> All I do is win, 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 no matter what. Oh, oh, it's too hot. Feeling hot, hot, hot. It's so damn hot. Milk was a bad choice. I'm kind of a big deal. Kind of. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You're getting getting close. You're getting so close to to our determined 17. We'll see. You never know. Usually when you get to 16, 17, that's when things just fall apart for you. Tomorrow's a big day, Randy. Is tomorrow, tomorrow would be the equal? Tomorrow would be the equal. All right, we'll see if that happens. Good luck. Hey, this is a big week also for the Mizzou Tiger Club of St. Louis. Thursday, Llewellyn's in Webster. The Mizzou Tiger Club is going to get 20% of the proceeds from meals and drinks sold to people who tell their server they're there for the Mizzou Tiger Club Dine and Donate Day. They're going to raffle off four Bunker Club passes to the November 25th Black Friday Arkansas game with a parking pass. Raffle tickets will be given out at the door. So... If you're a Mizzou fan, or if you just like good food, head to Llewellyn's and Webster Groves Thursday, that's the 28th, and uh, the Mizzou Tiger Club gets 20% of the proceeds from meals and drinks sold to people who tell their server they're there for the Mizzou Tiger Club Dine and Donate Day. Dine and Donate Day. M-I-Z. What a good little batch of alliteration there. Thank you. You can't say it, can you? When I go to he did, Matthew did. He went to Mizzou. Yeah, she should. I, I mean, I mean, it would listen, be disingenuous. I, I, didn't, I didn't go to Mizzou. Yeah, listen, we'll, we'll, we'll be either. fair here. ILL. I and I. There Thank you. Go. See? I mean, look, 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 D-E-N. W O O D. The wood. I mean, look at how instinctual that was for Michelle. I mean, it's that was. Just, and here's the thing I like Eli Drinkwitz. I want to see Mizzou have success because it's more fun for us to cover. I'm not anti Mizzou. Mm-hmm. It's just disingenuous for me to give you a Z O U and I didn't go there. Yeah, I, I totally get it. And thankfully, we have Matt here to support you there. To offset, kind of. There you go. Got it. Uh, Coming up next on 101 ESPN, a lot of response today to what we learned yesterday about the Cardinals having three players, three players, Nolan Arenado, Paul Goldschmidt, and Austin Romine. I'm glad you included him because he is also not making the trip. Got to include him. He's not in Toronto, one of the great cities in North America. Never been dying to go. Uh, They have... A cool stadium, too. Everyone says Toronto is amazing. Toronto, eh? Yeah. A lot of people also like Montreal. Yeah, and by the way, it's Canadian rules. A lot of dudes like Montreal. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah, they do. A lot of bachelor parties in Montreal. Yeah, there's places to go that I've heard about in Montreal. Allegedly, never been. Oh. Um, but well, I, I hear, I hear we'll that from sh- the from we'll, the dudes. Well, we'll have to do a show from there. <laughs> From Montreal. Oh, okay. Not just the place that people go. So anyway, <laughs> uh, more of your reaction and hopefully your Rhino Shield mic drops to the whole situation revolving around the Cardinals that are not headed to Toronto. That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. After today's game, we will depart for Toronto. And as many of you know, you must be vaccinated to uh, to go to Canada. And we do have a few players that are not. So Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado, and Austin Romine will not be making the trip. John Mozeliak yesterday before the Cardinals played the Reds. They lost for the second time in three games at Cincinnati. And now they go to Toronto and they'll face... Berrios, and then they'll face Kevin Gosman tomorrow night and Wednesday night. And so the Cardinals would have had their hands full offensively against those two pitchers either way. Now they won't have those two players. And Michelle, the question that I ask, and I I know that people love the idea of politicizing the vaccine. The rule is if you're a team that goes to Canada and you have a player that's not vaccinated, that player cannot cross the border Mm -hmm. and play in Canada. This is a question, and I will let you answer it. I will let people answer it. This is a sports show. The Cardinals have 23 of their 26 players that are playing in Toronto, that are in Toronto now. Can people say, can anybody say that the three that aren't in Toronto have done everything they can? This is a logic question. To play this week. If we're going strictly on logic, no. You can't you can't truthfully say that if we're going on logic. That's my only question. Yeah. I, I'm my concern here is baseball. My concern is the Cardinals giving themselves the best ability to win games. Now, if you can say that those players have done everything they can to play in these games, then my follow up question would be then why aren't they there? I very much appreciate that we live in a country that gives you the choice to choose. I I think it's very important that in a free nation you do get the right to choose what you do with your body. And after consulting with your health professionals and your family, you make the best decision for you. However, this is a sports show. And when you are the two best players on a team and you are unavailable to your team when every game matters in the second half, and it's been very explicitly stated that this season is win or bust, we have to examine this. And one of the questions that I have, and I've thought a lot about this, as Randy, I showed him before the show, I wrote pages and pages of notes on this because I do know that it's a very charged conversation and I also want to be respectful of these players and their choices while also posing questions that could have very real implications on the baseball team that we cover and one of the questions that I have is about leadership and when Wainwright, Yachty, and Albert Pujols are gone. This is Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado's team. It is in so many ways already their team but part of the 
the thing that comes with being a leader is that you might have to have uncomfortable conversations with people who you might not think are giving 100% or you may need to ask them to push themselves physically and emotionally in the pursuit of winning. And I just wonder how those conversations are received within the clubhouse when you have elected for whatever reason that you deem to be very important. You clearly have a strong conviction about this, but you have elected to not join your team in the pursuit of competition. And I am just wondering how that is translating in the clubhouse and if there's any tension or if there have been uncomfortable conversations that have had to happen between these two these two slash three players and their peers. And I know that this is something that John Mozalak addressed, Ali Marmal addressed it because it is a legitimate concern for a team when you're two best players and two huge leaders of your team might make a decision that could impact the chemistry and inside the clubhouse. And I'm sure we'll learn more about that as time goes on. But I think that is a fair question to pose. Yeah, absolutely. I want to throw one other thing that has happened out there because the Royals had 10 players that couldn't play in Toronto. One of those was Whit Merrifield, who was quoted before the team went to Toronto about not being able to. He said, something happens and I happen to get on a team that has a chance to go play in Canada in the postseason. Maybe that changes. But as we sit here right now, I'm comfortable with my decision. So he's one guy who basically did say, yeah, if I, if I get traded to a team and we're playing in Toronto in the postseason, then I'll do it. Yeah. So how strong are his convictions? Or is he more about getting into the postseason and having the importance of the games determine how strongly he thinks about this. Yeah, that's a hypothetical I hope we never have to find out about, Randy, because I would not want the Cardinals to be without two of their best players in the World Series. And I wouldn't want them to have to miss out on that. These are two guys who have dedicated their entire lives in the pursuit of getting a championship. And they both desperately wanted out of bad teams and bad organizations in their quest to do so. And I would hate for them to have to miss that opportunity. In the 1987 World Series, the Cardinals didn't have Jack Clark and Terry Pendleton. They win that World Series if they have the first baseman and third baseman who were both injured. Let's get some mic drops. Let's start with Janet, friend of the station on 101 ESPN. I had concerns about getting the shot, the COVID shots as well, because I wasn't sure how well they had been tested. But also the major thing was I felt I had a duty to my family and to my fellow man to do whatever I could do to stop this terrible pandemic and to save the lives of those I cared about and those I, my neighbors and my friends and the other people in this world who are vulnerable. Janet, thank you very much. We do appreciate it. Uh, Let's move now to Randy, who's got a mic drop for us on 101 ESPN. As a person who had a grandparent die from the complications to the vaccine, I would hope these gentlemen's teammates would be supportive of their decision. That being said, I have a daughter who's going to San Diego State in the fall. She had a choice between Arizona State and San Diego State. All California schools require vaccination. So I allowed my daughter to make that decision on her own and supported her in that decision to get the vaccination, even though we had this situation in our family. I think you just you have to respect their decision. I I respect their individual ability to make the decision, yes. But from a competitive baseball standpoint, when I have seen multiple players, back in the day, 
we had a first baseman that loved to take shots to get on the field. (laughs) I want the guys that want to make their way to the field and compete. And I mentioned at the top of the show, Bruce Sutter, with full knowledge of what would happen to him down the road, took a couple, three cortisone shots a year in his shoulder so that he could get on the field and play. Uh, Chris Carpenter had a rib removed so that he could get in an experimental procedure so that he could get on the field and play. Those are much more serious, at least in terms of what we knew and what we know. Those have much more serious future implications than, and again, in terms of what we know than these guys. I just want to see him play. I want... I'm a baseball fan, and I want to see the best players play for my favorite team because I want them to win. Yeah, and we're not just going around keeping score of who's vaccinated and who's not. This very personal medical decision is impacting their ability to do their job. And when it impacts their ability to do their job, it's our job to discuss it. That's that's just what it requires. And both of those guys have probably thought about this every which way. They knew this, this was coming. And they knew that this was going to be a consequence that they had to endure. And they clearly thought it was worth it and was steadfast in their convictions. And they understand that this comes with the territory. And by the way, we're not talking about Austin Romine. We're talking about... Two players who are great, two Hall of Fame players, two players who frankly have carried the team a lot this season. And that's why this is a concern and or a topic, because every game is going to matter down the stretch. And it puts you at a competitive disadvantage when you don't have your two best players out on the field. Let's get one more mic drop from Nate, who joins us on 101 ESPN. The one thing that we uh, have not really mentioned is it might be a little bit premature. We kind of got to see what, what happens in this series. Um, you know, who knows? They could take they could take both games, and then, you know, we won't really be talking about this topic anymore. That is, of course, uh, unless they face off in the World Series. So, yeah, I think it uh, I think it might be just a little bit premature. We just got to see what happens. All right. Thank you very much. We do appreciate it, Nate, and we appreciate all of your input on the text line. And with the mic drop here on 101 ESPN, hey, in between all of this stuff, the Cardinals don't have much good going on on the field either. That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Opinionated and proud of it, this is Character and Smallman live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker on 101 ESPN, where it's going to be 904 and 3, 2, 1, woof. 904, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. It was a tough weekend for the Cardinals, losing two of three in Cincinnati. And Michelle, on Friday night, Adam Wainwright gets hit hard. He allows seven runs on five hits in five and a third. He allowed two home runs, and he walked three while striking out only two. Cardinals lost that game 9-5 to Cincinnati. Then the next night, Stephen Matz was pitching exceptionally well, but suffered a knee injury, and it's apparently a torn MCL (sighs) that placed him on the IL, and that was after Matz had gone five and a third, allowed two runs, but struck out seven, and it performed really well. And then yesterday, Miles Michaelis gets hard in the game at Cincinnati as the Cardinals lost six to three. And uh, for his day, Michaelis went five innings. He allowed six runs on seven hits. So the pitching was not great for the Cardinals over the weekend, at least the pitching that stayed healthy. And then you lose Matz. So the Cardinals, with the trade deadline looming a week from tomorrow, 
are in even more need of quality starting pitching heading to the deadline. I'm so glad we brought up the Steven Matz injury because to me that was the biggest storyline over the weekend. I know we're talking a lot about Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado and Austin Romine not being available to the Cardinals in Toronto because it's a very uh, polarizing and controversial topic. But that's the biggest news of the weekend is that Steven Matz is on the shelf again for quite some time. And this just shows you again that John Mozalek and the front office have got to go out and get this team some pitching health. And Randy, I can't believe that at the beginning of the season, we were talking about Jack Flaherty and Steven Matz both being healthy and huge contributors to this rotation. And now here we are on July 25th and both of them are unavailable to you and you don't know when they'll return. And last year, the Cardinals did not have to give up much to get both John Lackey or uh, John Lackey, John Lester and Jay Happ. They gave up John Gant for Jay Happ, and they gave up an outfielder that they had given up on uh, to to get John La- John Lester from the Nationals. So it seems to me now that the uh, Bill DeWitt the third always talks about a puke point for the mm-hmm. Cardinals. They might have to get to or beyond that puke point to get this team to where it needs to be to be a playoff team, let alone a world champion. You can't count on Flair. Don't count on Flair, all right? If you see him, it's not going to be till September. Can't count on Matt's now. Mm -hmm. So do you want to head down the stretch with Libertor, Hudson, and Palante as your three, four, and five? And would you want to go into a playoff series with one of those guys, especially with the way that Wayno and Michaelis performed this weekend with one of those guys being your number three starter. I wouldn't. I would certainly rather fortify the rotation and feel feel a little Mm -hmm. bit more comfortable with a proven commodity heading into the playoffs. But the entire team is going to have to pick it up for them to even be in that position because it's not great when you start out the second half of the season dropping two of three to a much inferior opponent in Mm -hmm. the Reds. There are other issues. Uh, Harrison Bader with a setback and it's really dicey when you have the plantar fasciitis. Albert once had to have surgery on plantar yeah. fasciitis and it knocked him out for the rest of a season. And for a player whose game is based on speed, I, I don't really count on Harrison Bader anymore this year. So you're going to need to be able to keep everybody healthy and then you're going to need more production out of Lars Newtbar. And you're going to have to piece together something. It's going to have to be O'Neill. Carlson, and then whatever you can accomplish in right field. And by the way, Juan Yepes also won't be back for another couple of weeks. So injuries are really denting this this team right now. Yes, they are. Not great, Randy. Not great. No. So let's fast forward. Well, let's look at the rest of this week. Number one, I would prefer if John Mozeliak would be proactive. And while I'm somebody who likes the Cardinals to be protective of their prospects, once you get past Gorman, Walker, Mason Wynn, and it looks like, well, the way things are going, if the Cardinals don't win the division, you might need a third baseman on opening day next year anyway, right? Because number 28 has an opt-out. Do you and really he, think that he would opt out? I know he's sick of, of playing in the wild card and that he wants to make a deep postseason run, but do you really think it would get to that point? I can see that. Wow. Yeah. yeah. He, Going home to L.A., Justin Turner's up after this year. They don't have a third baseman sitting in their system ready to take over. I could absolutely see something like that occurring. 
And his agent will know what's available from other teams sure. after this season. So I don't think you can afford to get rid of Jordan Walker. That's my point. Okay. Yeah, you need that as a backup. Right. Well, he's going to be a part of the equation anyway. But then you look at, and you, you probably can't move Herrera because he's going to be your, one of your catchers next year. So now you're looking at Matthew Libertor as a guy that uh, you, you probably would be willing to move. Or one of the, the other pitchers down at Memphis, whether it's Zach Thompson or, uh, well, Graceffo, who's further down in the minors. But I think the Cardinals are going to have to embrace being uncomfortable to make a move to get better pitching than what they have. And you can't go out and get Lester and Hap again. You have to get a legitimate top three starter. Well, I think they're going to have to really look in the mirror and determine if they think that this club, as currently constructed, absorbing all the injuries into into the equation, if they're actually good enough to make a run. Because that's, that's what's going to be the determining factor. Do you really think that this team is not only a playoff contender, but could be a World Series contender with the right moves made, or do you think that you're better off planning for the future? And I know that at the beginning of the season, they said it's essentially World Series or bust, but both things can be true at the same time. At the beginning of the season, it could have been World Series or bust when you think you have Jack Flaherty and you think you have Steven Matz and you think you have a healthy Tyler O'Neill. And then things can evolve as the season goes on and your perspective on what this team is and what your expectations are of what they can accomplish could have shifted. Both things can be true at the same time. And they need to determine if the, if the team is really that good or not. And if they're willing to mortgage some of the future in order to try to win now. Because you're not going to be able to keep all of these prospects on the shelf. No. You can't just continue to hoard potential and young talent and think that you can go out and make minimal moves and that it's going to be enough. It's not going to be enough. And I go back to your point, and it's extremely valid, and I agree with it 100%. The simple question of, if not now, then when? Mm-hmm. Because this is you do have a limited time whether it's this year or next or the year after, you do have a limited time, as we're seeing right now, with Arenado and Goldschmidt. You're running out of time with Albert Pujols and Adam Wainwright. So why not take advantage of these great players, the presence of these great players, and presumably you're going to get Yadier Molina back. Why not try to take advantage of that now? I don't want to waste an MVP season from Paul Goldschmidt. I don't want to waste another exceptional year from Nolan Arenado in his prime. I don't want to waste a great season from Adam Wainwright. These are things that I think would lead me to double down on this team and go out and make a move. And the Cardinals are great at drafting and developing young talent. I will absorb the hit for the future because I have confidence in my organization to get me more talent in the pipeline. So we're on the same page here. Go do something that's uncomfortable. And by the way, pacify your fan base a little bit. The fan base has been unhappy with your lack of aggressiveness. I know you're worried. You're, you, you see Alcantara pitching for Miami. You see our Rosa Reina playing for Tampa. But to get something, as that's proven, to get uh, Marcelo Zuna, you've got to give something up. And I, I think at the moment, Cardinal fans will be happy. Yes, they'll be mad in a couple of years when that player that you give up is pitching well for somebody else or playing well for somebody else. But that's part of the process of making trades. You are going to dominate every trade. And I think there's an expectation that the Cardinals will do that. It just doesn't work that way in baseball. It's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. You're going to have to give up something that's going to make you cringe a little, but hopefully it's worth it. I don't remember fans clutching their pearls like this when Dan Heron got good. 
That's because the Cardinals were going to and winning the World Series. Yeah, and, and listen, not everyone's going to be Brett Walsh. You're not going to be able to get away with having a guy that high, uh, you know, that highly you looked at in the minors and who just completely just can't get it done in the majors, and it just makes any trade you put the guy, the guy in look better. Mike Claiborne said it on this show. You know, you 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 hope that when you trade the guy, he's he's not better than when you traded him. But that's the that's the inherent risk. And listen, if you're not going to make the moves in the off season, which is what we're criticizing them for, then I, I think it's fair to say you you have to make up for that by making some in-season moves and well it's not just money that does that it takes prospects that's michelle that's matthew i'm randy and that is today's big thing on 101 espn coming up former nbc and now tsn analyst pierre mcguire joins us to talk about the matthew kachuk trade over the weekend he's next on 101 espn we're right back to the character and smallman podcast presented by dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 espn Michelle Smallman, I'm Randy Carricker, 101 ESPN in St. Louis. Great to have you with us and great to go to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line where Pierre Maguire of Sportsnet in Canada is standing by. We have seen and heard a lot of Pierre over the years because he did a lot of big games involving the St. Louis Blues. And Pierre, first of all, thanks for joining us here in St. Louis. Great to have you with us. How are you doing? Great to visit with you, Randy. Nice to talk with you, Michelle. No, everything's going great. Thank you very much. Just got off the ice. I've been running a skate here in Boston for the last number of years with a lot of top end college players and some minor pro players. And we just got off the ice. So good to visit with you both. Well, I want to start with this and we'll get to Matthew Kachuk in a moment, but you just had a chance to spend a year with Brady Kachuk and we know Brady here in St. Louis, but I want to get your impressions of the young man that is the captain of the Ottawa Senators. Uh, Fantastically diligent, really uh, coachable, uh, passionate beyond belief when it comes to winning, uh, wants to make a difference every night, um, is a great role model for his teammates, is fantastic in the community. Um, he is without a doubt. He was a, probably the most important thing we had to get done last year when I was working in Ottawa was to get Brady signed. And, and it was not an acrimonious negotiation, but it was a long negotiation. And eventually it found its way to being done. And uh, Brady was the probably the most important piece that the Ottawa Senators had to get done, and they got that done. And now you can see all the other parts of the team are falling into place, Randy. So it's a really positive situation, but Brady's a critically important player to that franchise. Well, Pierre, let's talk about his brother, Matthew. Blockbuster trade between the Calgary Flames and the Florida Panthers over the weekend. What did you make of what uh excuse me, what Florida gave up in order to acquire Matthew Kachuk? Well, Florida had to give up some money, obviously, and that's what they were able to do when they moved Mackenzie Wegar and and, uh, Jonathan Huberto, both players going into the last years of their deals. Um, And both of them, really, Florida Panthers, are both drafted by the team, both cultivated by the team, both, you know, well into their careers as Florida Panthers. Huberto's almost 30 years of age. So, you know, you look at it, and that's heartbreaking as a general manager. And for Billy Zito to have to make that call and call up and say, uh, I hate to tell you guys this, we're part, you're part of a great team, but unfortunately we're moving it, uh, to Calgary. Um, that had to be hard. That had to be a really difficult phone call for Billy to make. But I would tell you this, um, Calgary, you got two good players. The key for them is going to be, can they get them re-signed? 
You know, Michelle, it's interesting you'd ask that question because I, when I was working on Sportsnet during free agency and it was really apparent that Johnny Goudreau wasn't going back, I was asked by David Amber, the host, what's the most important thing they can do in Calgary now? And I say, get the Matthew Kachuk situation dealt with one way or another because if you don't get that done, you're doomed. You're doomed. And so they found a way to get it done. Obviously, it's got to work out long-term because Florida's got Matthew long-term, and it's going to be fantastically great for Matthew in Florida. But for Calgary, if they're not able to sign Wegar or Huberto, they're in big trouble. And, Pierre, it seems to me that at least this year, with what moves uh, Brad Trey Living has made, they're paying their goalie a lot of money. They have half a dozen highly paid players. They really were kind of in, in no man's land because they couldn't go back to a rebuild, could they? It, it seems to me they were better off trying to compete with these two players for this coming season than just trying to take it all the way down to the ground. I think that's a great point, and I would agree with that, Randy, 100%. I think the one thing that, you know, in Calgary that you've got, um, you've got a real stable core of defensemen. You've got, you did have arguably the best line in the National Hockey League uh, when you had Kachuk and when you had, um, you know, Goudreau playing and and the way they were able to manufacture offense uh, with Elias Lindholm. That was arguably the best line in the National Hockey League. All those players had over 100 points each last year. I was into Calgary a lot to watch them, uh, both scouting and also with our team playing against them last year in Ottawa. And, and uh, they were well coached and they're hard to play against. But the truth of the matter is that the fan base there is expecting a lot. And because of what's gone on with Edmonton, um, that rivalry is really apparent, and it has been for a long time. If Calgary can't match that intensity and the growth of the program in Edmonton, they're going to have problems with their fan base in Calgary. Pierre, I want to ask you about the state of the St. Louis Blues right now. All Blues fans were hoping that Matthew Kachuk would wear the note, uh, but that didn't work out. But let's look at the state of the team right now. So they are not without, or they're without Ville Husso. David Prawn no longer a member of the Blues. They lock up Robert Thomas and Nick Letty to contract extensions. Do you think the Blues today are better than they were when they ended their season? Well, they've got some interesting things that are probably not household names, but I think can really contribute. Josh Levo getting signed by... Uh, St. Louis was huge. He was arguably the best player in the American Hockey League this year, um, playing for Carolina's farm team in Chicago, and they won the American Hockey League championship. He was outstanding, Josh was. And, you know, obviously they played against St. Louis's farm team in Springfield, so they, I'm sure the management of St. Louis had a chance to really watch Josh in the final. So I think quietly that was a really good acquisition. Another real quiet acquisition was Noel Achari, from the Florida Panthers. I've known Noel since he played at the Kent School in Connecticut. And he's a thick, robust, hard-nosed, in-your-face player, perfect role player for the way the Blues like to roll for a line. So I think he's going to help them in a quiet way. Uh, signing Robert Thomas to that long eight-year extension, uh, that should give Robert a huge amount of, of uh, confidence going into the season. So I'm a little bit more bullish on, on the Blues than maybe some other people are. And you know, again, I, I just look at the mobility on the defense. I look at the depth that they have uh, at, at certain forward positions. I still think they're a really, really competitive team. Pierre, when you look at what the Panthers gave up for Matthew and you look at the Blues roster, was there a way for the Blues to reasonably match the, the trade that Calgary got for Matthew Kachuk? Probably not. Um, and the reason why is if you trade Jordan Cairo, um 
you're giving up because let's be honest, the Blues are the oldest team in the National Hockey League. They have the oldest average age of any team in the National Hockey League. Kairou's only 23 or 24, if I remember correctly. If you trade Robert Thomas, he's 23. I know that for sure. So those would have been the, probably the two most desirable players that Calgary would have wanted for Matthew because Matthew's obviously 24. So they would have wanted somebody in his age group, and I think that would have been tough. I don't think they would have been knocking on the door for any of the older players um, that St. Louis has, except for maybe Ryan O'Reilly, who's a captain of the team, and I just couldn't see that happening. Pierre, as you look at the offseason, who do you think has won the offseason? What's one team that you think made some great moves and really put, put themselves in a position to be better? Well, Detroit has done some amazing work, and they deserve a lot of credit. I know people in St. Louis probably don't want to hear that <laughs> because of Huso and Perron being there. But I think Detroit's done some more good work. I think Ottawa's done some very good work by getting it out of Chicago, uh, by getting Claude Giroux out of Florida. The one thing Ottawa needs to do is they still need a right defenseman, and that's going to be something that's going to be very interesting to watch. The fact they were able to move, Matt Murray's money to Toronto um, was really shocking to me, quite frankly, but they were able to do it. Uh, but so Ottawa did some really good things. Um, and, and I think when you look at it um, honestly and openly, the one team that was able to keep a lot of their players, well, there were two actually, Tampa and Colorado, I know people don't want to hear that, but the truth is, is that both those teams really didn't take a step back. They were able to keep their players. Um, and that was shocking, and, and we still don't know uh, with Colorado. They still might not be done spending, and so that's going to be really interesting. Nazem Kadri's still out there, and if he resigns back with Colorado, that, that's really that's an unbelievable amount of work done in the offseason by the defending Stanley Cup champ, Colorado Avalanche. Pierre, that was my next question. I am very surprised that Nazem, Nazem Kadri is still out there on the market. If not Colorado, where do you think might be a good fit for him? Well, Calgary's a perfect fit for him, Michelle, when you really look at it. I mean, with the Calgary Flames, uh, with what they've done now, with Matthew moving on, um, with Callie Yarncroke moving on, uh, Calgary would be a perfect destination for him. I mean, then you'd have Elias Lindholm in the one-hole, Nazem Kadri in the two-hole, and Michael Backlund in the three-hole. And that then all of a sudden, Calgary, even though they had to move Matthew Kachuk and Johnny Goodrow's son, uh, as a free agent in Columbus, it, I'll tell you one thing right now, that, that's, that would make them a very difficult team. But I, I still think uh, the, the longer this goes, I think it speaks to Colorado really trying to get something done with them. Hey, Pierre, before we let you go, you mentioned you just got off the ice at a camp in Boston. Are they still developing any hockey players in the Boston area? <laughs> lots of them. <laughs> lots of them. That's a good question, Randy. The answer is yes, they are. Lots of them. Uh, I trained 12 young men here in the summer. Six of those young men uh, just got back from NHL development camp, so I'm really proud of those six. Uh, the other six have legitimate chance to go. Two of the players were drafted in the top five rounds. One was in the third round this year. One was in the fourth. So they are developing a lot of players here. Um, and, you know, with all the competitive college programs you have here, whether it's BU, BC, and Northeastern, uh, you know, obviously down in Providence, uh, up in Maine, uh, UMass Amherst, there's so many good players that are being developed in the Massachusetts area. Yeah, we've got a uh, uh, an imported Northeastern, Northeasterner, uh, Keith Kachuk, who still lives here in St. Louis, and we love having him here, but uh, one of the great products of that area. Yeah, well, I'll date myself now. When uh, Keith Kachuk was 16 years of age, he was at a camp that I used to run called the Europa Cup, and uh, that was a very prominent camp back in the day, and 
we had players like uh, Tony Amonti and Jeremy Roenick and Sean McEachern and um, Billy Guerin. I could go down the line. Garth Snow, they all were part of that. But I'll never forget uh, when I was coaching in Pittsburgh, going in to watch a game at BU one night, and there was Keith Kuchuk playing on a line with Sean McEachern and Tony Amonti, one of the best lines I ever saw in college hockey. It was phenomenal. That's phenomenal. Pierre, good to hear your voice. Thanks so much for the time. We do appreciate it. Randy, really nice visiting with you. Michelle, nice talking to you. Take care, everybody. Enjoy the rest of the summer. You too. Take care. Pierre McGuire, formerly of NBC and of the Ottawa Senators and did some work with Sportsnet during the during the summer. And the name that he mentioned at the top, Josh Levo, had a terrific year for the Chicago Wolves, had 46 points in 54 games. And according to Pierre McGuire, that's a, a name and a guy to keep an eye on in training camp is Josh Levo, L-E-I-V-O. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. You're killing me, Smalls. is coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. What's totally killing Smalls right now? You're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me, Smalls, with Michelle Smallman on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by Mobile on the Run. On the Run is your summertime snack and sip store. It is time now for... Killing me, Smalls! Great news yesterday coming out of the XFL, Randy. We had... Uh, suspected it, but it's officially confirmed. The XFL returning to St. Louis. We were, yes, yes we still don't know if it's the Battle Hawks. Fire it again. Let's go. Oh, yeah. Let's go. Let's pack the dome. We don't. <laughs> Three horns today. Here we go. We don't know officially if it's going to be the Battle Hawks, but we're going to be yelling caca until we get that confirmation, right? Caca. Caca. But if you missed. Earlier in the show, we talked to new St. Louis XFL head coach, Anthony Beck. You could always listen to that back on the podcast. And we're getting a little bit of information coming out slowly from the XFL. As uh, coach said, they're taking their time and announcing certain things. But they did reveal today officially, even though this had been prior, prior, or excuse me, reported prior, that the XFL hub will be in Arlington, Texas. All the teams, coaches, and players will be at the centralized HQ in one location. And that will be in Arlington, Texas. Well, well, that's great that uh, the players are going to be able to become members of that community. I, I kind of wish that uh, they, they had the ability somehow to get the players integrated and involved with their home communities. Because to me, Michelle, this will be like the St. Louis and Vegas teams coming into town and you could just, it, it doesn't matter, right? It, you could put the St. Louis jerseys on the Vegas team or the and the Vegas jerseys on the St. Louis team and you won't know the difference right. when, when you watch the two teams only because of the coaches on the sidelines. That was one thing that was very special and unique to the last XFL experience that we had is these guys were part of something that was built from the ground up and they were so hands-on in the community. They were hands-on in getting to know the fan. There were all sorts of town halls and things where fans could get really involved and voice what they wanted, not only to the front office executives, but to the players. I just wonder if there's going to be that same connectivity when everyone is based in one centralized location. It's going to be almost impossible because... During a week of practice, the TV stations aren't going to be able to get out there so that you can see a player's face on TV. We aren't going to be able to have players here in studio. And 
people aren't going to be able to get to know the players like they would or did when the previous incarnation of the Battlehawks were here. That being said, the league might not be able to exist financially if they had to get practice facilities in all eight cities. Having to pay for only one practice facility and having the players fly out of there, I'm sure, is infinitely less expensive than having eight different practice facilities around the country. Choices had to be made, and this was one of them. However, I do wonder what this is going to do as far as from a competitive field, because if you're training in the same place as your opposition and you're around the opposition in the same centralized HQ... Is there going to be the same animosity? I mean, I know the Vipers mm-hmm. are no longer, which, by the way, congratulations. Death of the Vipers. No, yeah. no more Tampa Death Bay Vipers. Death to the Vipers. Death to the Vipers, finally. Um, but will there be any animosity between teams if you're all kicking it in the same HQ? They're probably practicing against each other on a yeah. daily basis. That's a great point, and I hadn't thought of that, but that's that's probably going to happen, is that there, you're going to have difficulty building up the rivalries. And by the way, the Arlington franchise has a built-in advantage yeah, because they practice and play half of their games at home, unlike the rest of the teams in the league. But we will be waiting with bated breath to hear that it is, in fact, the Battlehawks again. And by the way, just thank goodness that it is Anthony Beckton, not Jeff Fisher. Did you ever think it would be Jeff Fisher? No, but I thank goodness that it's not. And why is that? Because we've already had that experience. He's gone from seven to nine guy to two and eight. So the new date for Jeff Fisher is February 8th, Michelle. That's the new Jeff Fisher day. But Randy, did you see him wearing the backwards hat? Yeah, very classy. Got some swag points there. He did. Doesn't count on the field. 64-year-old man wearing the backwards cap, yeah. But he did make some headlines. You're killing me, Smalls. Well, Major League Baseball welcomed in their latest Hall of of Fame class this weekend, headlined by the one, the only, David Ortiz. Randy, he had a great speech. Here's a sampling of what Big Poppy had to say. Before I was Big Poppy, before the Red Sox, before the Twins, I was just a kid playing ball in the Dominican Republic. To all my coaches from winter ball, minor league, and the big league, I could not have done it without you. Was a guy named Ramon de los Santos, Pintacora La Uva, and Fernando Arguelle, who scouted me and signed me to the Seattle Mariners when I was only 16 years old. They saw something in me and they fought for it. Once I was in the United States, another guy, another gentleman named Jim Scotland, the Mariner minor league coordinator, made a huge impact on me. Also, Jim Beatty, who is also here somewhere, that's another guy who made a major impact on me. Randy, what are your thoughts on Big Poppy? Because when I see him, my first thought is to shudder because I think mm-hmm. about 2013 and yeah. I just have a bad reaction to it. But he's a guy that I want to hate that I absolutely cannot. I can't hate Big Poppy. No, I, I want to so badly because of what happened in 2013, but I can't hate him. He is, by all accounts, a Hall of Fame person. Mm-hmm. Unless you happen to be a uh, Dominican drug lord whose wife that he stole. But that's a different story altogether. But... He, uh, he, by all accounts, is. And I have no... I, I'm glad he's in the Hall of Fame. And I wish that the Hall of Fame voters would be more accepting of people that they suspect of using performance enhancers and getting them into the Hall of Fame, too. I would, too. Here's here's some stats from Big Poppy. Slash line, career slash line, 286, 385, 52, 541 home runs, 632 doubles, 1,768 RBIs, and 2,472 hits. Absolute stud. He's Absolutely. Great. He's in essentially the top 20 and or top 
15 of a, a ton of categories beyond a Hall of Famer. And always a big game player, right? He mm-hmm. always showed up. Well, if you pitched to him, he was going to show up at, in big games. Don't pitch to him. Just stop it. Just walk him. Why are you letting him beat you? Unbelievable. But they did. It still hurts. Yeah, it does. And think about what the conversation... Well, actually, I'm going to table that. Because like, I don't think the conversation would be any different if the last time the Cardinals won the World Series was 2013 as opposed to 2011. Fans would still be upset that it's been that long. Yeah, they would. You're right. You're Thanks. killing me, Smalls! Oh, I have one more. Oh, let's fire away. Randy, I know you're a uniform guy. Love the uniforms. The NFL has been shaking things up when it comes to helmets recently, unveiling some new Mm -hmm. designs. And the Chicago Bears unveiled their latest helmet. And let's just say it's a little controversial. A lot of people don't love it, so I want to get your take on it. They unveiled a new alternate orange helmet that they are going to wear for two games this season. Seven letters. A-W-E-S-O-M-E. Awesome. Fantastic. I love the orange helmet. I love their orange jerseys. I think that this is a great move on the part of the Chicago Bears. And by the way, the Eagles have gone to an alternate black helmet, and the Bengals have gone to an alternate white helmet with stripes. There's some pretty cool helmet things happening in the NFL. So I'm with you. I love the Bears' orange helmet. I think it's so sharp. Don't love the Bengals' white. Don't love it. It's hard to love the what? Bengals stripes. Don't love it. You don't love the Bengals white? I thought that no. was the I thought that was the cleanest one because listen, as much as I am a huge fan of, of, of the Eagles old all black jerseys back in the early two thousands, mm-hmm. listen, the Eagles need need to get the same memo that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers got. Old school Kelly Green. You're going the wrong way by going a darker shade. Go lighter with the green, not darker, lighter. Okay, so Michelle, you are better at this than I am because you aren't colorblind. <laughs> but I gotta True. ask. Uh, orange Bears helmets with the orange jerseys or with the blue jerseys? Blue or the, white. The navy. Blue or, okay. blue or, or, excuse me, navy or white. Yeah, because there's a picture of them wearing the orange helmet with the orange jersey. Yes, I saw that. Don't, lo- don't love it. I, I, I would prefer the contrast, too. Me too. By the way, I see that jersey as black. That's one of the deals with colorblindness. You see, you see orange is black? No, no, no. The the Bears navy. Oh, the navy oh, is black. As black. It's so, so dark. What other colors can you not determine or discern? Okay, so red and green is really bad for me. That sucks. So what do you uh, see or, them as? Just gray? Uh, no, it's not gray. It's more like um, brownish. Wow. And like if I put a, if I mark a golf ball with a penny on the ground, uh, on the green, I can't find it. <laughs> Yeah, so like in red and green, yeah. and they're like together, like next to each other, just kind of muddled together I, for you. If, if they're really bright, I, I can do it. But it's like a dark green and a dark red. Might as well be the same. Wow, that's no Christmas. Bright is fine. Bright green and bright red is fine. Like the wash you, red and green. I, I can tell that. So can you tell that you're seeing something that is different, or do you not know the difference until someone points it out? I don't know. For example, I if there's a blinking yellow light at night, I'll stop at it because I don't know if it's. Red or yellow. Oh my god! Yeah. So if it, I, just to be cautious, I, I stop at it. Look at you, just surviving. Trying. Try Way to go, to, Randy. God, that's yeah. rough. Oh, that, that would bother. That would that would legitimately bother the hell out of me. Is it not? Are they not in different positions? On they the, are, but you, at night, you dark. You, yeah, you don't know. Yeah, oh. you can't see. So uh, that's your killing me smalls on 101 ESPN. Thanks, Michelle. You got it. Coming up, Kevin Durant to Boston. It's next on 101 ESPN. 
We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Rocchio has pointed out several times over the course of the morning that we did get a Woj bomb last night that the Boston Celtics mm. are one of the teams that's in discussions with Brooklyn. They stayed in contact with the Nets about possibly acquiring Kevin Durant. Now, they would give up Jalen Brown. The Celtics do say, rightfully so, that Jason Tatum is untouchable. But, Michelle, what would you think of Kevin Durant and Jason Tatum being teamed together for the Celtics on the front line? I'd absolutely love it. I think it'd be awesome. Anything that puts Jason Tatum in a better position to win a title, Mm -hmm. I'm all for. And I think pairing him with Kevin Durant would be so fun to watch. I think it'd be awesome. I wonder if Durant would kind of be a point forward. Because the one thing that they need in Boston is a distributor. And I know Kevin gets the ball at the end of the game and takes a lot of shots. But he could also, and Matthew, I want you to weigh in here. I think Durant could be the distributor that they're looking for. I th- I I think with the Brogdon trade earlier in the in the pre in the po- no, postseason, sorry. Uh in the offseason was kind of that exact move to get another distributor. I think it makes sense with Durant. I think he's different than what he was even in OKC or Golden State because of the injuries and, and some of the wear and tear on his body. He's You can't lean on him even in crunch out as a defender anymore. So I think just giving him the ball in his hands and say, listen, take this offense, you know, ball stop when you have to, and just go make something work. I think that makes a little sense, yeah. Question for you. Mm-hmm. If, let's just, let's say Kevin Durant wins a title with the Celtics. Kevin Durant wins a title with the Celtics. Thank you, Randy. Jason Tatum is already there. He's already established as the guy there. He's already become a superstar there. Does this do anything for the Kevin Durant is not the bus driver argument if he goes somewhere where there's already an established one and already an established face of the franchise? I think it enhances the argument that he's not a bus driver. I agree. Because clearly, if there's an untouchable guy on the Celtics, they want him to drive the bus. And in the playoffs already, he has been the bus driver. And it seems to me as if Durant, even though he was a great player for the Warriors, I don't think he ever took it upon himself to be the alpha in Golden State like LeBron did in Miami. Miami got good when Dwayne Wade turned over the the bus to LeBron. And Dwayne Wade admits that. I don't think that anybody's ever had to turn the keys over to Durant yet. Well, in Brooklyn, he's the guy. Well, yeah, and that's a problem <laughs> because well, they, I think Kyrie is more of a problem, right, not but, having availability. You know, right? But just in terms of leading the team, they, they expected to win championships and leading the team and being able to take the team. And granted, they have some talent limitations on that team, but he really hasn't been able to carry them yet. But I wonder if that would be something that he would be aware of and or can concede to that you might come to Boston and not be the alpha. You might not be the one. Are you, as Kevin Durant, one of the best players, arguably the best player out there, that you could come there and defer at times to Jason Tatum? I think what you do, you don't go to the Hamptons, you go to Martha's Vineyard, and you have a little meeting, and you come to... Yeah. What about Nantucket? Nantucket will be fine, too. Yeah. But what you need to do is come to an agreement as to who the bus driver is. It's got to be a Jason and Kevin meeting to determine who the bus driver is going to be. But it seems as if Jason Tatum, he's a nice guy, yes. and 
he would want to win and he might be able to placate KD and say, oh, we could be tied for first. Like, yes, I'm here and more established, but I respect you. But when it comes down to it, there's got to be one guy that you want to have the ball at the end of the game. Bingo. And it's going to be it. I just wonder if Kevin Durant could come to terms with the fact that it might be Jason Tatum that gets the ball at the end of the game. Some games. You know what? As much as I love Tatum. I kind of would want the ball in Durant's hand at the end of the game. Yeah, I wouldn't be mad at it either. But you know what I'm saying? Like, from an ego standpoint, is that something that he could take on? The reason why Tatum's going to be the bus driver is because in the last four minutes, the ball on offense might be in Durant's hands, but... Last four minutes against in a series against, let's say, the Milwaukee Bucks. The Milwaukee Bucks. Jason Tatum's guarding Giannis Antetokounmpo, not Kevin Durant, and that's why Tatum's that's, the that's why that's why Tatum's the bus driver on that team because he can do what Durant can do offensively for the most part. But at this point in his career, mm-hmm. Durant cannot do what Jason Tatum is starting to do more and more on the defensive side, and that's the important part. Hey, kids, 101 ESPN is your chance to win a four-pack of tickets to next week's Budweiser Bash for the Cardinals and the Cubs on Tuesday, August 2nd. Tuesday, August 2nd, and next week's Bud Bash giveaway features a limited edition Ozzie Smith bobblehead. Get all the details now for the Budweiser Bash Nights at Bush Stadium at cardinals.com slash promotions. And if you can answer Matthew's question and be texter number 101. That'd be like 101 ESPN. Texture 101 to 65780. You can win the four-pack of tickets to the Ozzy Smith bobblehead night at Bush Stadium. All right, Matthew, what's the question we got? A little ticket trivia here. What pitcher, what pitcher was traded to the Cardinals alongside Ozzy Smith from the San Diego Padres? It's a very good question. Very good question. And if you can answer that question correctly be texter 101 then you can win the tickets to the Budweiser Bash. We still have a couple of days left, by the way, if you would like to weigh in on and bid on Ozzy's driver from last year. Ozzy used a, a Callaway driver, an Epic driver, and it's up on eBay right now with all the proceeds, 100% of the proceeds going to PGA Reach and whether you want it for a man cave to display or maybe a restaurant or a bar, or you just want to be able to show people, hey, look, I got Ozzy's driver from 2021. It's available and it's at auction now. Just go to eBay and search Ozzy Smith driver. And it's got a certificate of authenticity. And like we said, Ozzy's so involved with PGA Reach and the Hall of Famer will also provide a certificate of authenticity with it. I wonder if that's going to be kind of like the Monstars, where if you have Ozzy's club, some of his juju will be transferred into you and it will improve your game. And he can hit it. Yeah. He oh, I've seen him. He can hit it. He's unbelievable. So think yeah. about that. Maybe you can get a little Space Jam going if yeah. you get Ozzy's club. Yeah. Well, I, I'm really sorry that uh, we weren't able to get any excitement or any conflict going here this morning. I am so glad this show is over. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Not me because too. I don't like working with you, Randy, but I can't wait to talk about only sports from yeah, now on. That's that's <laughs> the way it should be. should be And that fun easy. and laughter and... Well, if the, Car- if the Cardinals keep playing this way, we might not be having too much fun. But yeah, they might score a run in each of the next couple games. But at least one of them we got Wayno going. That's true. And hopefully we'll talk to him tomorrow. Or, or tomorrow, yeah, tomorrow right? Wednesday. Yeah, because yeah, he's got to go on Wednesday. Don't be scared of Big Bad Barrios. It's almost a six ERA this year. Okay, I'm he's not been getting hit. I'm not afeard. We got right-handed hitters galore to go against him. He's still really good. <laughs> Yeah. It's a bad season, but he's still really good. <laughs> Just trying to find something to be positive about. Great job, Matthew. Thank you. Thank you. Michelle, this was Pleasure. fun. It was a show. Caca, though. <laughs> Caca. Yeah. And thanks to Anthony Becht. If you missed our interview with Anthony Becht, you can hear it on our 101 ESPN 
website or app and all of our podcasts brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. For all of us, until tomorrow morning at 7, have a great day, St. Louis. You've been listening to the Character and Smallman Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. The college football playoff committee made their decision on Sunday, and as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the college football playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama. Nick Saban citing some hypothetical point spreads to prove his point that the tie deserve a spot in the college football playoffs holds little substance when you consider Bama's best win is over Texas. No, the committee got it right. TCU had a great season with far more ranked wins than Bama and didn't deserve to lose their spot after playing a surging Kansas State in a championship game. And Ohio State, while not playing some of their best ball later in the season, was still 12-0 until they came face-to-face with my Wolverines. While the college football playoff system isn't nowhere near as good as it could be, it's better than what we had. And in a few years, it will be better for all of college football. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. And don't forget, bet online for the NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. Bet online where the game starts. Hey, hon, what you doing with your phone? Do flowers have best friends? I don't know. Hey, look. Whoa. Some answers can only be found in nature. Discover the unsearchable. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a trail near you. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council.